Hey gang, Hadjerberg here. Tonight we are blessed to have Anthony from Monster House Records in Sanford, Florida come on to help us defend our show against the zombie horde. Because tonight we kick off October to Romero month with Night of the Living Dead. Aim for the head because it's episode 118 of A Cut Above and it's starting now. Johnny. Hey, you're still afraid. Stop it now, I mean it. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. They're coming for you, Barbara. Stop it. You're acting like a child. They're coming for you. Look, there comes one of them now. Cut my life into pieces. Good evening, and welcome to A Cut Above Horror Review, a podcast where we review all things horror. I'm your host, Jacqueline, and tonight we'll be kicking off a very special themed month, an October to Romero, where we'll be covering the first five films in Romero's Dead Cycle. So tonight, up on the docket, we've got Night of the Living Dead from 1968. But before we get into it, let's meet everybody else on the show. First up, I'd like to introduce a special guest joining us for the first time tonight. It's Anthony from Monster House Records. Welcome, Anthony. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, everyone. Glad to be here. Thanks. What's How going on? Um, I am sitting in the shop currently. I have like a 1985 Curtis Mathis TV from Japan playing night of the living dead as we speak um wow. in its original glory That's um crazy. elvira's hanging out in the corner spooky lights are on it's a it's a vibe tonight sounds like my mothership that's where i want to <laughs> be eat some cookies and milk and some dry cereal it sounds very horny especially this time of year <laughs> i'll light a candle yeah, for can... you <laughs> that that's... uh that environment might get me a little horny john it sounds nice yeah, it's boterific. Uh, for, That's why for I said horror. it. Yeah. Yep. For people like us, pretty much. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to the show, Anthony. Glad to have you. Yeah, happy to be here. And next up, we got John. What's going on, John? What? Oh, <laughs> hi. Hi, Jacqueline. Hi, Hydraberg. Anthony, so good to see you. The last time I saw you cast called the Street Chillin' Podcast, and we had to go to hell for those assholes. Yeah, what a bunch but, of jabronis. I know. <laughs> I, I know. Um, but uh Awesome to hear you, to see you again. Um, welcome aboard, man. Yeah. Welcome back to the podcast world. Yeah, I know. This has been a minute. I don't think I've actually been on a podcast in a few years now. So this is kind of special for me. Awesome. Well, we're happy to have you on for sure, man. Oh, it makes me feel special that our show is the one you chose to come on to. Yeah. How could I pass up Night of the Living Dead and get to revisit with John Hydraberg and Jacqueline, you know? Woohoo. <laughs> Thank you, man. <laughs> All right. Last but not least, we got Hydraberg. What's going on, Hydraberg? They're coming to get you, Jacqueline. <laughs> no, <laughs> coming to no. get you. You're ignorant. <laughs> Stop it. What's Stop going it, on, Johnny? Stop it. Uh, <laughs> Anthony, and the fucker's name is Johnny, on? too. <laughs> what's yeah. wrong with that? Johnny's a great name. Yeah, what's wrong with Johnny? Can't trust a guy uh, named oh, John. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. I wouldn't trust anybody <laughs> named John, that's for sure. Same. <laughs> What? <laughs> anyway, what's going on, guys? How's it Maybe going, Hydraberg? Coming on, man. Thanks for having me. Well, guys, it's October. I think this is a pretty awesome way to be kicking off Halloween month. What do you think? I love it. I do, too. And Jacqueline, you know, it's like I came up with this idea. Hey, let's do more Halloween-themed movies in October. But Jacqueline goes, nah, 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 nah. 
No, we're doing something different this year. Sorry, so I kind of thwarted you, I guess. <laughs> no, I, I, I love the idea of it because, you know, it's it. these movies, most of them are, I mean, just, uh, I don't know, we'll get more into it. But I, I love the theme. So well done, Jacqueline. So I'm going to give you your flowers right now. Oh, thank well you. done on this choice. Thank you. I just thought it'd be kind of a fun way to do something different that we haven't done before. And also I was a little worried about running out of Halloween themed movies yeah. doing like four or five every year. Um, we could have done never. Rob Zombie's Halloween one and two. Oh, oh my God, there it is. you, you got, got it. it. Nice one. <laughs> um, dang nice it. One. Uh, I definitely think it's cool that we're doing like a chunk of Romero's work, you know, of a, of a director's mm-hmm. work in one month. I think that's cool. And it, it totally fits the, the month. And these, John, I think you were going to say before, but like, like these are iconic films. I feel like mm-hmm. and it's kind of cool to, to touch on them all in like one month. Well, majority of them are, but the whole series in general is pretty iconic and Romero himself um, is iconic. So it's especially apt too, because I think they just landed a director for twilight of the dead, which was like an unmade script right. Romero. Had. Yeah. They did. So. Is it Brad Anderson? It yeah. Might be. Yeah. I think it's Brad Anderson. The one who it's directed also, session nine. Yeah. That's, that's exciting. Actually. It's also the 55th um, anniversary of this, this week. Film. It was right. this week, and there's two dates that it could fall on. The first was when he debuted it, I believe, in his hometown in Pittsburgh. And then I think it's like the fourth or something like that when it's like uh, released everywhere. Something yeah. like that. But yeah, it's 55 years this week. So. That was completely on purpose. I definitely cool. planned that like eight months ago. Genius. <laughs> yep. That was by design. Obviously, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm just that good. Just like guys. everything we do here on a cut above. So Thank professional. You, the internet. thanks john yeah so just as a kind of a little preview we've got night of the living dead this week next week we'll get into dawn of the dead from 1978 the following week we've got day of the dead from 1985 the fourth week is going to be land of the dead from 2004 and luckily we get five mondays this october so that's exciting that means we can throw in one last movie in the dead cycle diary of the dead now, as we get towards those final weeks of the month, I'm I'm even more curious to see how those discussions will go because I have a feeling opinions might start to diverge more <laughs> at that point. I, and I, I mean, was going to say, I feel especially odd being on like probably the best zombie movie ever made and then ditching while you guys hurl yourselves towards Diary of the Dead. I don't you know, can, man. I, you can come back. <laughs> kind of really dug, I kind of thought of you too when we when this one went on there. Because I'm like, man, this is like a classic. I know you like classic monster films and stuff like that, and you love black and white stuff. Like you take a lot of photos in black and white. Like you're kind of that's kind of like your vibe. And I was like, I just feel like this would be a chill movie for you to come on and talk about. I'm sure you love it just like most people do. No, absolutely. So even if you didn't, that would cause you know a cool conversation as well. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I'll be honest. I've never ever seen Land of the Dead. Oh, really? That's okay. I, I feel theaters. like I feel like you can be forgiven for that. That's not yeah. like a shocking transgression. I've only seen it once, and it was in the theater. And that's all I'm going to say about that. That was um, okay. So that so in a way, it's almost like you haven't seen it before because that was almost 20 years ago. I feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. when you watch it later this month, it, it. I was super pumped to see it too, but. I will be interested in hearing more about your personal history with that movie when we get to. I might, uh, yeah, I might like it more now. Uh, that else? week, yeah, I, yeah, I, I, I'm already anticipating some like squabbles between. Us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I have opinions about the other films too, and who knows? It's been a while since I've seen them as well. So, I'm, 
I'm curious to see where I lie with all the films, to be honest, because I can't. Uh, the only one I can guarantee you is this one. Like, yeah, I know how I feel about this film before sure. we ever put it on the docket. But the other films, I feel like I got to go into them and, uh, you know, take it like with a new set of eyes, kind of. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, and I'm excited for this month also because I feel like this is kind of a weak area for me. Like, I don't tend to watch several movies in a franchise close together mm. and so it kind of turns into like a piecemeal sort of thing that like years pass in between when i watch this movie or that movie within a franchise and a lot of times i don't get around to sequels at all now i have seen all the movies that we're going to be watching this month but like the nightmare on elm street series there's like quite a few that i've never seen mm. um, and i hate that but it's just you know there's only so much time in the world to watch everything you want to watch um some of the friday the 13th sequels i haven't seen those you know so sequels tend to be a weak spot for me so i'm excited yeah. to have this uh set up for the month even though i have seen all these but it's nice to kind of put them all together and see them as a collective work i and i put things into perspective do you think that when you know r.i.p george a romero uh do you think when he saw this big trend coming out where it was just we were inundated with zombie movies do you think he went what the fuck did i just do you know i <laughs> i i i came out with these really, you know, innovative and it, whether you love them or not, I mean, you, you've got to give all the props to his creativity about creating this, these movies. But do you think he just goes, why did I do this? Why didn't I go into rom-coms or something like that? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would hope that regardless of how he felt about whatever subsequent, you know, directions, the zombie subgenre took, I would hope that he would recognize his own accomplishments and be proud of that, like regardless of what may have sort of spawned from them. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, there've been some great things that have spawned from them, but I would hope that he would just like look back with pride at what he himself did. I think he did. Well, as an artist, absolutely. But I mean, did it like look just looking at it as a whole, he was like, mm, I yeah. don't know, man. I think there's something when you tap into the zeitgeist for the first time and you do it unknowingly, it's mm -hmm. kind of like, I don't know, wielding power for the first time in a very weird way. Mm -hmm. um, 10 people worked on this movie. Like, this is very much an indie film. And it got, like, independent distribution. And it became, at the time, one of the most successful independent films ever made, like, in financially. Mm -hmm. And so that spawning into, you know, sequels and then spawning off into, like, Return of the Living Dead. And then, you know, Robert Kirkman was going to, do his series called Night of the Living Dead just to boost sales. And like it, it truly turned into this whole other beast. And I, I feel like even Romero, probably when he passed, like had no reference, but he just, he took the genie out of the bottle and it's in the world now. And that's what it is. Yeah. I, I, and that's what irritates me about this, you know, not getting too much into the movie, but the fact yeah, that it's public. Yeah, well, I wonder if we should pause. All right, sorry. I'll, I'll shut the fuck <laughs> up. Yeah, we got no, no, no. Stuff. Like, just put a pin in that. Like, no, let's, let's make sure we come back to that. All right, go ahead. Um, well, so yes. would you like to just quickly kind of get through the other stuff, like news, and then get back to sure. Romero? <clears throat> I'll run through this really quickly. Uh, Halloween franchise is not dead, it being Halloween season. Uh, rumors are saying that it's being shopped around Hollywood as a TV series and the front runners to buy it are A24 and Miramax. Ugh, please don't go to Miramax. Uh, yeah. Here's my thought. 
is that if it was the original thought from John Carpenter that it was going to be an anthology or something different, absolutely not, yeah. Ma- not Michael Myers, that gives me hope. Jenny, like, like, anthology yeah, would be great. yeah, A24, you know, just kind of like, like really owning horror movies and, and highbrow horror movies. I, I think that could work. I mean, <laughs> it, it, initially, because you guys know how much I love Halloween. You know, yeah, my favorite favorite. movie of all time. But if they take the vision of what John Carpenter had with this and just make it anthological and it's a TV show, an hour, you know, that's going to be on Hulu or whatever it might be. Would be sick. I'll, I'm a little intrigued. Mm-hmm. I would so be down for that. I agree with you, John. I think that's the that's the clear, like, right way to go. Yeah, it is. It's the only way to go, I feel like, really, if you want to yeah. do anything with that series still. I don't know. These studios have had these like film rights and have like Halloween, the trilogy, trilogy of Blumhouse just had ended, you know, recently. And it just, it feels like no one can fucking hit it. You know, no one can just get it right. Um, And it's, I mean, it's hard, right? It's hard living up to a legacy. I mean, it's hard, but it feels like these last couple didn't even try. (laughs) Right. Like 2018 was like fine, you know? Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. kills and ends were just, dead on arrival pun intended um yeah and it was like embellishing on this story and you're just like oh come on really yeah we made a drinking game out of every time they said evil dies of tonight course. um and we were so messed up by how many of you it. had to go to the hospital <laughs> we we ended up just like going to like low alcohol volume beers and just taking a sip at that point because we were like oh, this is getting out of hand very quickly <laughs> yeah Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, so uh, this kind of blew me away, but Saw X, that's the Socks. most recent in the Saw, <laughs> uh, just came out. Looks like it's the very first critical darling of the franchise. What? Yeah, well, that's usually oh, when it happens on the 10th one. That's. Yeah, and they <laughs> yeah, didn't even do it in space. They did not do it in space. They haven't. Uh, and they should do every 10th one in space. Yeah. <laughs> that just should this, be the rule. This fucking movie is 85% from critics. It's the highest one. Yeah, yeah. But what about audience? Audience score is probably higher. Yeah. I'd imagine. It is. Yeah, because it's the fans. Okay. 93%. See, that's who I'm going to trust. For a movie like Saw, that's who I'm going to trust over critics. Am I allowed to say anything about Saw right now? Like uh, Saw X, at least? Yeah, go ahead. Can you do it non-spoiler? Yeah, I can do it non-spoiler for sure. It's... I saw it a couple days ago and it's definitely like a return to form, but it's also like the first Saw film that's kind of silly. Um, Mm -hmm. And it doesn't take itself so seriously in a way, which is very strange for a Saw film. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So overall, would you recommend? If you have watched the franchise and like, I don't know, you're kind of looking for some type of revival, sure. Um, they like truly put in the legwork to make you get behind Jigsaw. And it's, again, it, it gets to a point of ridiculousness. Okay. I really do want to go see it. But do they have the music? Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Dun, 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 yeah, dun, dun, absolutely. Dun, dun, dun. They they use that, that sucker really good, twice. <laughs> yeah, that score is good. By the way, the second highest scoring from critics and audiences, the first one. Yeah, wow, I mean, it's yeah. higher rated Just than the first it this one. Yeah, the, the first one got a fifty percent, and then I think it was like sixty-one percent from the audience. Wow, interesting. 
Man, this I still remember two seeing hours that. Too, I believe. I think most of them were like an hour and a half. I read that this one's like longer. Mm. Gives it more time to like breathe, have a decent story. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think some of the saws and some of the movies like that, you know, are going to have a resurgence like um, Return of the Living Dead. You know, it, it was so like hated at first. And all of a sudden you got a younger audience that's watching it and going, that was awesome. That and then it just, yeah, it gets the kind of, I don't know, cult classic type. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh boy, this one I didn't want to talk about, but when I watched it, I was actually semi excited. Um, the Toxic Avenger teaser came out. How excited <laughs> were you? <laughs> Based on what we know, I was you. like Bozo. I'm gonna run him over. <laughs> uh, no, it 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 came out uh what maybe two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, but we finally <laughs> are talking about it. I. I really enjoyed it. I watched it three times and it has that charm of a trauma movie because it's got yeah. the gore. It's a, it's a red band teaser. So it's got all the gore and everything that you want, you know, yeah. it, it, it's on the one thing I'm worried about is a scene by scene remake. I know they changed the name of Peter Dinklage who plays our titular character of the toxic Avenger, but same ideas, you know, I just, I hope they don't lean too far into doing the scene by scene remake and just, I don't you know, know cuz he doesn't look he's he's little in stature. Like he I thought he was going to grow maybe once he got like into the Toxic Avenger, but he's still like a little person I would say. True, but so I'm I mean, interested in how they how they're conveying it, that like is he more mobile now? Can he jump around or would be great to see Peter Dinklage like jump off walls. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm parkour, thinking he's like Yoda. Peter Dinklage. And the, and that scene in the restaurant we just see like parkour. the blood splatter everywhere. My one fear is that there's just a lot of, it looks very heavy CGI blood and that just gets tiring after a while. That jaw yeah. rip off looks cool real quick it's, but when you look at it. It's almost like too viscous, right? Like blood it's like either too quick or too slow like the human eye is very good at like catching those things. Cuz mm-hmm. we know how like yeah. I don't know, liquids react in real time. So watching it, it immediately throws up a red flag. Well, and it it held to the trauma kind of feel, you know, the aesthetic mm-hmm. of yes. trauma. I will is say that, that it is sure. over the top. Like the um, humorous dialogue, like the kind of irreverent dialogue. And, sure. You know, it's yeah. not meant to sound super realistic. It's, you know, they know they know what kind of a movie they're making. Yeah. I trust yeah, Megan Blair. Yeah, true. He has mm-hmm. made some pretty good he, stuff. And he's done some, some great actors. stuff with Jeremy Saulnier. Um, and I like even watching Macon Blair in, um, uh, was it Murder Party? Um, yeah. I don't know. That's very much like in the realm of trauma alone. It um, is sort of, yeah. Very so, DIY. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. I mean, I also trust Elijah Wood. He's been doing great stuff with that. Spectre Vision. Um, yes. Absolutely. You know, so I, I, it's got a great cast. There's got to be a reason they signed up for it. I think that's what saves this film. Like uh, all, any complaints aside of just like looking at CGI blood or like questionable things in the trailer. I think if the cast delivers on the zany dialogue and like really good characters, I think the movie could still be super entertaining to watch. Um, mm-hmm. And as long as it doesn't, like you said, John, be a shot for shot remake of do something original, but you know, have some of the similar tones of the original. Yeah, keep keep the feeling, uh, the charm of Toxic Avenger from 1984. I mean, if you keep that, to me, it's like the cast is a fan of the Toxic Avenger. You know, maybe, Mm -hmm. you know, they they hit it for a while, but it's like, uh, oh, we're remaking that? Fuck yeah, I want to be in that movie. You know, (laughs) how awesome 
is it going to be if they slip in that car chase that flips? Yes, the dude. Explosion, they right? have every trauma. I think they have absolutely. Oh, it's not a trauma. Is it a trauma film? Like, is I it considered so. a trauma? Like, I don't know. I hope they do. Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hers are actually producers I know he's on like, the movie. Yeah, so, so they would have permission. That'd be so dope. And in yeah. the middle of this newer movie, this they slip that scene in there. That's I hope so. And make it grainy <laughs> and just so look funny. terrible. Yeah, oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Like not match <laughs> at all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <That'd be> so <laughs> good. When does that movie drop? Uh they're saying early next year. Um, okay. All right. So I'm sure there's like some post production shit. I wonder, shit I wonder if it might line up with something that we got going. That would be super rad. So it looks like it was written by Macon Blair, Lloyd Kaufman, and Joe Ritter, directed by Macon Blair. Um, I'm trying to see who produced or let's see. Legendary. Legendary and trauma. So Okay. And Lloyd Kaufman was a writer and producer on it. So I mean, I don't know. Gives right, me so a little bit of faith. <laughs> and and this movie's not gonna be as woke as you think it is. I think there's they're gonna they're gonna rub some feathers the wrong way. I'm sorry. <laughs> was anybody expecting Toxic Avenger to be woke? I bet there's a crowd of I, people that are thinking like, I bet it's gonna oh, be woke. You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's teams that are probably like that. Uh, no, uh, if it's uh, if it's they, irreverent... they always have something to say. So well, yeah, right. but I mean, I would hardly describe them as woke. Yeah. Well, I'm just saying that in our 2023, 2024 eyes, is that you know a lot of studios are kind of like Ooh, let's steer away from that but like with lloyd kaufman being attached he's gonna be like i don't give a fuck don't don't be offended it's a movie mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i this might be a very weird take but it'll be interesting to see how it does i feel like we've been in such a dry spell when it comes to comedy in general mm-hmm. um like comedy doesn't like translate well when it's overseas and so that's why like a lot of studios won't do it is because like films they distribute overseas like big bigger blockbusters at least they need something that's going to translate and you Mm -hmm. know we have such a surplus in action films Mm -hmm. but um i don't know we we've had and because of that we don't get a lot of good comedy films and it'll be interesting to see how uh maybe it revives that a little bit um the Toxic Avenger was like a last ditch effort by Lloyd Kaufman. And it was like, you know, they struck gold with it. It was like their first thing that really popped off and became something and they ran with it. So it'll be interesting to see if they could kind of do that again in a like modern era. But and, and Anthony, to, to your point, I think that if this movie does become successful, why couldn't you bring other trauma movies back? Like if this movie is actually. Yeah, give me Frankenhooker. <laughs> yeah, man. Yes. Would be great. You know, surf Nazis must die, you know? Oh my God. Poultry Geist. <laughs> uh, what? Obviously. Too soon. Too it's soon. not too soon. It's Need never too soon, Drop some money? <laughs> <laughs> it's never too soon. Anthony, I, I will defend Poultry Geist until I die, but we covered it last year and John's still mad at me. Yeah, I, I think... It's the only zero that's ever been given. It's on the only show. zero. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to Rocky Horror Picture Show episode uh, of your guys show and uh i also heard the poultry guys comments on there too <laughs> i oh, yeah, love to bring up it up <laughs> i love to bring it up just to make john mad <laughs> john hasn't Ooh. eaten chicken since that <laughs> it's been in 11 months <laughs> suffering <laughs> we have a melange of shit movies that we've done okay <laughs> speaking of shit movies what do you guys think about the eli roth thanksgiving movie <laughs> can't wait oh my god can't i'm excited can't wait excited can't wait mm-hmm I hope the shittier the better is what I hope for that. Yeah. 
Well, Anthony, here was here was my conspiracy theory with that is that they showed the teaser and it looked really clean. But mm-hmm. I think Eli Roth has something buried underneath where oh, he, absolutely. like when he goes to show it at the theater, it's going to be grainy. It's going to be, oh, you know, so. just this, this, you know, 80s aesthetic of like it cuts out in the middle of the movie almost at like grindhouse yeah. well yeah like, i wanted well, to look like blood the, rage kind of you know the thanksgiving yeah. skit was a part of the grindhouse double feature release yeah. and that's of why course. this got made in the first place mm-hmm. um it'll be interesting if it like really lives up to that very small legacy of like the trailer the fake trailer but we'll see that was I the one that, that I was most hoping would be made into a feature film. And 15 years later, it's like my dreams are finally coming true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my so... most favorite one was Don't. Do you want to go in the door? Don't. Oh, that was <laughs> Edgar Wright. Yeah, I'm really enjoying yeah, your reenactment of that, John. <laughs> don't. Don't. <laughs> all right. Well, was that all the news, John? That's it. Sorry. That was that was some good news. Those were some good stories. Thank thanks you. For, good, thanks for bringing it. Some good nugs. Some good tasty nugs. Yeah. Get us all lubed up like Heidelberg's eyes. eyes. Let's do it. Is everybody nicely moistened? We are. All right. We ready to get into Night of the Living Dead for real now this time? Yeah. All right. Well, so this wasn't like officially anybody's pick, but Hydroberg, it falls on your week. So do you want to talk a little bit about, um, I don't know, maybe like your personal history with this movie or? Oh, yeah, real quick. I have a little um, thing. Um, if I was to pick one of those films, like if you had given me a choice, I would have picked this one. This would have been the one that I wanted to I would have wanted to talk about. But um, so I saw this film for the first time around like the age of like 10 or 11. Wow. I want to say I was at a community rec center like during the summer. It was like a place to go when my mom was at work and uh, you could do like oh, they arts and crafts. They took field trips to like great adventures, stuff like that. Um, and, you you know, you did stuff during the day. Um, so like one of the older counselors asked some of us kids, like if we like scary movies and I did. So he took uh, like a couple of us to like one of the classrooms that had one of those like classroom setups with the TV and the VCR, like strapped to the car. Um, <laughs> yep. Yeah. And, and, the t- and he put on, he showed us Night of the Living Dead from 1968. He explained that it's an old film and it's in black and white, but that it's very good. And he kind of introduced it a little bit to us. He was obviously into film. Um, and he was kind of excited to show like a younger generation, I think, of kids like scary movies. I guess he didn't think like I might lose my job for this because we were pretty young. But it was the 80s. Nobody like did. as teach- kids, we kind of gave consent because nobody was the- like that. But I was into yeah. Freddy stuff. So when people weren't so litigious then. So. Yeah. And and even then, though, that the film is black and white. And I was just so entertained and enthralled by it. Like it's one of those horror fan like building blocks for me for like a moment in my life where like. Like the first time I saw Elm Street or watched The Exorcist with my mom, it's one of those stepping stones that got me to where I am now as a horror fan. And so for that, this film's always kind of had a spot in my heart and my in my brain as a horror fan. That's just it's a great awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that memory. Yeah, it was pretty cool. So in your mind, I think I know the answer to this, but does Night of the Living Dead from 1968 fuck or suck Hyderberg? Man, this film fucks so good and steady all night long. <laughs> it's pioneered its own moves. Years later, you can have a go with it, and it'll still fuck then, too. It's a classic fuck. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well said. Well said. Anthony, what do you think? Does Night of the Living Dead fuck or suck? Well, it is coming to get Barbara. <laughs> uh, well, I would say it fucks. Nice. Nice. John? I like that. Hmm. 
Uh, I don't have a lot to say about it just because I, I know a lot of podcasts. I know just anybody that loves horror movies is going to say this is a classic fuck. You have to watch it. Jacqueline, how do you feel? It's a fuck, by the way. <laughs> okay. Yeah, uh, Heidelberg kind of said one of the things I was going to say, which was it will fuck all night long. So mm. for now, I'll just say it's a must fuck. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's a must. Well done. Yeah. Mm. All right. Well, John, you want to drop that spoiler warning so we can get into it? Absolutely. We're going to be talking about the classic Night of the Living Dead from 1968. If you have not seen this movie, what the hell is wrong with you? Pause the podcast. <laughs> go watch the movie. Then come find out what we thought about it. Although we're not going to have a lot to say because, you know. I got funny to say, but uh, yeah, this film's free like anywhere. Like yeah. anywhere. You can see it on almost any streaming service. It's free. on YouTube. It's oh, I, I, I got thoughts on that. Go, go ahead. Oh, we, we can we can definitely talk about that because I feel like that's kind of important actually to talk about. But yeah. So yeah, what the hell's wrong with you? Go watch it and then come back. Watch it literally anywhere and then yes. come back. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. Hydroberg, do you have a reach around plot summary for us? I do. I have an undead right. reach around for you guys. All right. Let's make sure that hand doesn't come off. <laughs> All right. I don't know. It could be good. All right. You guys ready? Yep. As siblings drive to pay their respects, creepier things lurk than crawling insects. The dead they rise as the sun begins to set. Barbara, she runs for her life, finds an empty house and a sharp knife a shitty old man and his wife, a brave man named Ben who seems fit to lead. Regardless of skin tone, it's the same blood that he bleeds, the same that the dead seem eager to feed, a zombie film that felt new and fresh, reanimated dead that feast upon the flesh. By the end of the night, there will be no survivors. To make it out alive, teamwork was required. The folly of man that night had transpired. The dead, they shuffle and stumble like a drunken stupor. There's only the present, forget about the future. Talk some sense into Harry Cooper. Don't even bother. A distaste for Ben Hill Harbor. They're coming to get you, Barbara. John fell and bumped his head. The black and white concealed the red. On this, the night of the living dead. Ooh, so good. Yes. Well done. Such a good one. Just absolute can, bars. Yeah. Can, can I just address the elephant in the room? The fact that this fucking movie is public domain. Well, I, and, I, for, I, and for a very stupid reason, too. Yeah. Um, the filmmakers just didn't put a copyright notice anywhere in the credits and at that time it was just assumed that if there wasn't a copyright notice on the film it was just automatically public domain so because of that one little error in the credits like they they lost out on millions like that's it just once it's public domain that's it like Mm -hmm. so i mean i think that has to be revisited every few decades or so like every 25 30 years or something like that i don't know what the time frame is but that I believe it, it is now. I don't know what its current state is now, but it's still like available everywhere. Yeah, I think it's up soon um, for like, I don't know, revisiting it being copywritten. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the original name of the film was going to be Night of the Flesh Eaters. Um, and then the studio that they were working with felt it was too graphic and it was too close to the the actual movie, The Flesh Eaters. Mm. Um, so they, the studio recommended changing it to Night of the Living Dead, but when in editing, they went to go change the title sequence. They forgot to add the copywritten mark. That's what it was. Um, Mm. so they didn't add it at the beginning or the end. So technically (sighs) the film was copywritten. Um, but it, because of like some 1909 copyright law, um, that, had said if it doesn't have this then it becomes public domain 
Um, so it wasn't until like the 2018 criteria or 2017 criterion release, like studio 10, one of the original production companies actually partnered with um, the George Romero foundation and did like a full remaster and re-release with like permission from George Romero. Well, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. So I, not, since you brought up Criterion, I'd like to just ask, what did everybody, like, where did everybody watch this for, for this, to prepare so for the show? I have Shutter. that edition of the, the Criterion. Criteria. Yeah, I have the Blu-ray. It's, it's got a 4K restoration on it. Mm-hmm. And then there's, they came out recently since then with a 4K, a straight 4K version. But mm-hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. The Blu-ray 4K restoration looks amazing. Well, the first time I popped it in, I was like, wow. Mm-hmm. It looks so good. And then I looked at the Amazon vert, like the one you can just rent or stream for free recently. And that's an HD. And that's so dark in comparison to yeah. the Criterion one. You can just see the upscaling. Like, so yeah. Really cool. Well, in streaming, you get like compression issues too. That's true. But I mean, this isn't even like a disc to streaming issue. It's like literally just the one that Criterion worked on is so much better looking. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Is it true they actually did a colorized version of this at some point? Yeah. There's been so many versions. Like, there's an animated version. I've seen the colorized version. It's weird. (laughs) (laughs) Anthony, where did you watch uh, the movie? John, I hate to break it to you. Ben's black. I didn't want to spoil it. (laughs) Oh, my God. What? Black and white. Wait, hold on a second. (laughs) Why are you pointing that towards me? I don't know. Because you were just asking about the version. (laughs) The colorized version. (laughs) No, I'm just saying that the colorized version seems (laughs) stupid with this movie. I know. He's just kidding. Pointing the finger at you. No, he's not. Um, Anthony, where where did you watch the movie? I just needed to line the joke somewhere. For the show? Yes. Um... I'll be honest, I didn't. I feel like I watch this movie oh, every okay. year. And that's why um, I invited you on. And like, yeah, I truly watch this movie <laughs> every year. Um, and I think it's something that, I don't know, I've talked about a lot um, with friends and uh, people that I've worked with closely. And it's something that I feel like I know pretty well. Did you yeah. ever cover it on your older podcast? Pardon? Did you ever cover it on your older podcast? Um, I think we did an episode with uh, one of our old writers, uh, Victoria Timpanero. Um, she has a YouTube channel called The Horror Academic. She actually teaches film uh, somewhere in New Jersey. And she actually does like volunteer work for the George Romero Foundation as of Damn. recently. Wow. Um, and so I th- believe we talked about like the role women have played throughout like the Dead trilogy. Um, so we've had conversations on that and comparing, you know, the original 68 to the 90s Tonsavini version. And, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I think on some older episode of Ghoulish Cast for sure. Mm-hmm. So just like starting out with like the cemetery scene, because I think the opening to this movie is just so iconic. Um, I just love the way it's they like the scene of them rolling through the countryside up to the up to the cemetery and you get this little bit of banter with Johnny and Barbara. You don't get much of mm-hmm. them, but what you do get, I, I'm very, like, I, I really enjoy it. And then when Johnny comes back way later, it's, you know, it's kind of impactful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, here's what I love that I actually thought the score was really, yeah. really good. So but, good. But again, and it's like, like talking about that, it's like the newscast, you know, on the radio or on the TV has been sampled so much. And, and this is totally organic. You know, I know Rob Zombie has used, um like clips of this movie in his you know intro to songs or in between Mm -hmm. songs you know yeah Mm -hmm. 
we we get that little bit of radio and Johnny turns it off like right at that moment where I feel like we're about to hear a glimpse about what the state of things are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Turns it out. Well, and the score I believe was not like composed for the movie. It was it was cobbled together a melange if you will Ooh. of <laughs> hydrobrake I, I always know I can count on you. Um cobbled together from other like kind of stock um musical that I'm trying to say images. I'm trying to say images, but that's not right. Like, like pieces samples. of music, yeah, yeah. Um, that were just sort of cobbled together. But I love it. I actually think it has so like, an old-fashioned yeah. sense of high drama, mm-hmm. which I it's really got, like. Uh, there's portions of it that remind me of uh, science fiction music. Yeah, almost like aliens or big ants. You know what I mean? <laughs> like there's like this like like sort of Twilight Zone. What is it? What is it like? To some of it, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> there's like a weird tone to it. Um, it almost sounds like aliens in a sense to me it, it evokes that like science fiction alien sort of vibe. but um i think part of that's too because of the concept of like well maybe this came from the space probe so the alien sort of music kind of vibes for me because it's like well these this whole thing happening could be the cause of space radiation so it's mm-hmm. kind of cool to have that sci-fi like overtone but that makes sense that they took it possibly from whatever was free for yeah. them to put together it works so well though yeah, well, absolutely. Because well, because like Anthony said, you know the the budget for this was so low. I mean, this was like a microscopic budget. I want to say it was like just over a hundred k. And Damn. yeah, I know. And so I think it, you know they were just trying to make the best with what they had and get the best that they could get for the you know the lowest cost. And I actually think the score totally it's hits fucked. it out of the park. I think it. <laughs> It's perfect. It. Actually, it's unsettling when it needs to be too. Yeah, I really it's kinda, like it. It kind of it has that same sort of sense of drama as the photography, like the black and white photography with stark shadows, and mm. you know a lot of interplay between dark and light. And so I, there's just something about it that, like that music and those strong shadows, just really go Chiro together Skiro. for me. Isn't that what? Uh, Chiaroscuro. Yeah, yeah. I can, it's hard to say. Yeah. Kiara Oscuro. That's why Nicole changed the title of her podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can't say it. Um, real quick, I did just want to throw in there, since we talked about it before, this movie, not on the Criterion Blu-ray 4K, but um, on the Criterion streaming service. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, from the opening shot, I was shocked at how clean it looked. I mean... Because full confession, I've actually only ever seen this movie once before. It was like, really? I know. Oh, I just I know. clutched my pearls. I know. I could tell. Um, and it was like 15 years ago. And it was like a really cheap DVD print that I watched. And oh. it did not look good. And so that's what I was anticipating seeing last night. Like, rem- I remember thinking that it was kind of hard to tell what was going on because it was so dark and like just not a lot of contrast, not crisp at all and so just from the opening shot with the car driving through the countryside i was like whoa this Mm -hmm. looks like you can see it i mean this looks (laughs) almost you could see it yeah i said to hydroberg earlier today i was like it looked almost and john too i said it looked almost as good as psycho i mean yeah it looks really good that good so bravo to criterion Mm -hmm. um because i was not expecting that and i definitely feel like it significantly increased my enjoyment of the movie yeah, I do yeah. got to say that Romero did some really good shots, and, and even at the beginning of what, like showing the zombie, or I guess they don't mention zombies. They call them ghouls. Yeah, ghouls. Yeah. When did they actually say zombies? Is it? Dawn of the they never not, say it. It's not dawn, is it? 
I, think I thought it, it was Dawn. Day of the Day. Oh, oh, it's got to be Dawn or Day for sure. I think it's yeah. Dawn. Is it? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, Maybe we'll get into that. You're right. We'll, the shots we'll, the we'll find out. Like, yeah. The way the cemetery shot is seen, I mean, the scene is shot is just so, like I said, it's just really iconic. And you get Johnny like antagonizing Barbara. He's such a dick. He is such a dick. <laughs> now, has everybody here seen the 90? The 90, uh, no, I haven't. Was it like oh, once it's, or twice? I know who it is. Bill Mosley. It's Bill yeah. Mosley that plays the brother. Oh, for real? Yeah. Mm. So it's pretty good. I just have to say, like, it's I, it's hard enough to visit my father's grave. If I had some asshole brother or cousin or somebody like being like, oh, they're going to get you. I'd be like, fuck out of here, man. Like, that is yeah. not the time like to be fucking with that. your just that's not the he, time to be fucking with your sister. And she's really right. got but like he, some type of yeah. anxiety going on already. You know, he, yeah, he starts before that. He's like, you could pray enough in church. Well, I haven't seen you at church, Johnny. And he's like, well, stop doing this. We don't need to be yeah. here. Yeah, because it's like takes five minutes to pay your specs, but they got to drive six hours there and back. So uh, he's an insensitive. And it's for their money. Yeah, he is very insensitive. Uh, he does. He does try to like defend his sister though when that guy grabs her. That's I, true. I can at least, at yeah. least he jumps into like action when the time was right to actually take care of his sister. I appreciated that. And then he gets pushed like ever so gently against that tombstone. So Dude, the sound though of his head hitting yeah. the tombstone Ooh. was sickening to me. I did not like yeah, that. It it's kind of yeah. gnarly. It was like if a little too real. Your head or, yeah, it feels yeah. Because it, it's not like a dramatic sound. There's not like a wet squish. It's not a melon breaking open. It's just like a dull, quick thud. And it uh, seems like so inconsequential, but that's enough to kill you. And it's like, yeah. it, and it could happen in an instant. Yeah. Was black and white a choice or was it a budgetary That's what I'm thing? curious because it was like, probably a budgetary option. But it oh, works okay. so well for the gore in this film because like we get that first moment later where when she runs to the house and she's and Barbara's running around, wandering around the house, which I love the setup of her, like coming into the house, looking around, like we get the, um, the head, the animal heads on the wall and there's like a zoom in moment to them. And I'm like, Sam Raimi totally took that. for fucking Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And absolutely. the music gets real loud. She gets, mm-hmm. Yeah. It gets like kind of zany and she's like, Oh, she's startled. By <laughs> but yeah, she goes upstairs and we get that first moment of gore, which is, that like face with Dead like skin corpse and yeah. it still looks great it's and that eyeball ugh, the eyeball always gets yeah, it's all wet looking it looks ping pong great. ball and like popping out for sure yeah, that's what it was a ping pong ball it was yeah. a ping pong ball that's yeah. awesome. was it really mm-hmm. that's uh, great. george made it himself and the fact that it's all black and white i think hides some of the you know it, it, it brings a charm to the gore and the effect yes. yeah it kind of melds it and marries it all very well um yeah and it also kind of keeps your eye focused on like the shadows and like is there something hiding yeah yeah a question for you guys what do you think of the overall look and like specifically the makeup design of that first zombie the first first one the the one in the cemetery yeah i loved it i think he's great and he, we, mm-hmm. he's like the hero zombie. We get to see him. He plays throughout the entire film. He chases her <laughs> he all the way to the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, and he also like looks the best. You know what I mean? Like they spent the most time on him, at least the makeup, not the, because he doesn't really have prosthetics. It's just like sunken in makeup. Look yeah. Sure. yeah. Um, Bill Hinsman is the I love his acting though. He does cemetery. a lot of cons actually. He loves yeah, to do the I cons. I thought his acting fans. is great though. Like his, Is he still alive? I don't know if he's still alive, but so. up I think until... he passed away. Well, I don't they know. have I mean, reanimated as, corpse at the cons, John. As as recently as maybe 10, 15 years ago, I definitely saw him slated to go to like Spooky Empire in Orlando. Awesome. Yeah, he passed um, away in 2012. Okay. Oh, wow. I like so, his performance too. I, I think close. it's kind of subdued. <laughs> um, like 
I think he yeah. just does it perfectly as far as that's why he's the hero zombie. And then I'm gonna he, say something like see him later. Very ageist, and I like completely understand that. But <laughs> old people freak me out. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> and like and, and in terms of like like people who are like in their 60s and 70s, where like God, we I just made it, you guys. <laughs> skin is like hanging off and like they're just skin rips off when it like mm. snags on a doorknob or whatever like that just uh i don't know um taking a deborah logan freaks me out yeah. <laughs> um, nice what about but, pearl i mean oh, uh, x x oh, i mean oh, yeah x also just wet <laughs> old people <laughs> but i i think that plays into a like a personal weird phobia i have where you have this like I don't know he he he's not that old in it at all, but he looks older and his like teeth are kind of misaligned and he's just um, gangly and just running at Barbara and it's mm-hmm. a great introduction because it's so effective and so frightening. Yeah, and I Anthony, like- I I agree with that. I love the look in his eyes that mm-hmm. it's like dead, but he's just like you know, yeah, like a ghoul. He's aggressive. Yeah, and I, I love how. Say- oh, go ahead, Hyderberg. I just real quick, I just love how like subtle it is in the very beginning, like when it starts. He just looks like a guy who might be in the cemetery, a little drunk, maybe. Maybe he's mm-hmm. visiting his wife's grave and he had yeah. a drink, you know, and he's just sort of like walking back to his car. And so like, oh, look, there's that guy. But then it just escalates. And then the film, I think, has a great pace to it. Once we get to the house and then Ben shows up, Ben shows up at the 13 minute mark. And by then I'm already invested in the film. Like, damn, what the fuck's going on? Mm-hmm. What are you going to say, Jack? I was just going to say, like, I was a little surprised at first at the like minimalism of the makeup for the mm-hmm. zombies in particular this first one that we see because yeah i thought you know he could be drunk or i thought he just maybe looks a little tired like there's some dark yeah. bags under his eyes i'm like it looked like me going to work this morning <laughs> like yeah. i mean um but as the movie went on i kind of came to really appreciate that you know in contrast to the super like heavy makeup heavy prosthetic zombies that we see on like walking dead like the nicotero zombies and um i was thinking about that because i feel at first it's like oh this seems less scary because they're less gross you know and they seem less monstrous but on the Mm -hmm. other hand it's like well that minimalism in the makeup kind of makes those zombies seem closer to us as human mm-hmm. beings. Yeah. Like we're more similar, which is unsettling in a different it way. Mm-hmm. And these days I feel like we're very far removed from that. Like the zombies have become very distinct from us yeah. in like today's zombies. But the the Night of the Living Dead zombies, like they're a little uncomfortably close to being like us. And I definitely uh, they think there's tools. like oh, sorry. sorry, go on Hydroberg. No, go ahead, Anthony. No, I was just gonna say I, I think you're onto something there. Absolutely. There's kind of like a uncanny other about it Mm -hmm. Um, where like in modern zombie films, they're all just slathered in blood and you can obviously like, okay, well he's infected, but in this you like, you truly do not know until they get close enough. Yeah. Barbara doesn't know until he's like six inches away from her and And, attacks her. And Mm -hmm. seeing someone who's not all quite there is already very uncomfortable. A hundred percent. So anyway, I just, that's why I wanted to ask what you guys thought because at first I was like, well, that's kind of boring. But then I was like, mm, this is creeping me out because they're. They As you start seeing like more a... of them, like that, as a naked one yes. shows up, and then there's mm-hmm. like the uh the one the lady who eats the bug on the tree. I kind of just love that scene for some reason. There's just something. That's Marilyn Eastman. Oh, aka Helen. Oh, the mo- oh yeah, because I was gonna. That's 
definitely part of the trivia is a lot of people play dual roles in this, uh, mm -hmm. especially and some of the, the smaller makeup. parts. Yeah, she did the makeup. Um, that's and that's cool. That was her. What, and, John? No, she did that. Did she make that <laughs> bug? Was it a fake bug? Or but just the fact that like this zombies like took a minute and noticed this bug on the tree and was just like and ate it. Like it's primal. It's just like I don't know. It's so weird too. It's like. We used to see in zombies like, oh, they're going to go and eat the human flesh, but they'll eat whatever. They at this point they they don't give. A mm -hmm. yeah. I think one of the things about this film that I I don't know has truly gotten under my skin in in a very good way, and why some people call it like one of the first modern movies is like it doesn't have like a successful ending. Back yeah. when you had like the Hayes Code government mandated that like the hero has to win and so there's this weird transition in like film history between like the Hayes code and the mpaa and this was a month before the mpaa yes. was instituted so this film technically doesn't have a rating at all right. yeah, which it's not it, rated. it went from like a government mandated like moral ethical i don't know uh mandate which is weird and silly and then it went from like age-based, right? So this is kind of in that gray area and the hero doesn't win. And mm -hmm. so many of our main characters die and it, I don't know, it leaves you horrified in, in, in the die, most right? true definition where it kind of starts campy and then it gets worse. And then by the end of it, you're kind of enraptured and you're like, oh no, this has gotten so completely out of hand. Yeah. And not in the way that you'd ever expect. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. It was it's kind of a, it strikes such an impolite tone. <laughs> that sounds like stupid to say, but it's like, you know, I feel like so many movies of that time period kind of ha did adhere to those social norms and moral expectations. And um, and even Hitchcock films that, you know, that like hits. Hitchcock's films do some pretty shocking things themselves, but I still feel like there's a polish and a politeness to them in a way. I don't know mm -hmm. why I'm using the word polite. I don't know. It's just kind of the word I sense right now. I hope yeah. you guys can kind of pick up what I mean. But um, I feel like this movie just totally dispenses with like any attempts at like being civilized or polite or meeting expectations in any what? way. I feel like it just totally goes off the rails in a really yeah. um, exciting way way and like i feel it's like a very rock and roll movie to me <laughs> like um in, in that it's yeah, just kind that. of irreverent and like breaks from it seems to like break from all the rules yeah. it sort of does i, I mean agree. i i you know it's um he says it wasn't intentional that the lead he casted was african-american but i think that makes a huge difference too with the film whether it's intentional or not um just ben as a lead i think he's a great character he's like a natural leader mm -hmm. um, and i just find him like he knows what to do he has the most information for some of it, you know, about what was out going on out there. And he just like kind of strikes me as like kind of like the quintessential, like, you know, man that this is how a man's supposed to handle things kind of guy. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As opposed to someone like Harry that we meet later who handles things a lot differently. Right. And the, I think the it, the film is truly like a tragedy because, you know, mm -hmm. Dwayne Jones character is punished for doing the right thing, even mm -hmm. if it was like maybe unintentional. But the ending of this film is tragic and it's sad. I'm actually like, as I'm speaking, the ending is coming up now on the television mm. I have in front of me and I'm about <laughs> to watch it. And yeah. Jacqueline, this film does one of the things that I know you love where when they go to get the truck 
and they go to pump the gas into it and they're going to take the truck and they're going to go to the one of the rescue centers that they heard about on the television. And they have a pretty good plan. They even get Harry to be involved, which I wouldn't, but, and they go out and they do it right. And they, and it goes South and Tom and Judy die and their plan goes to shit. Uh, you know, Harry tries to lock the door on Ben and kill him. But you had said one time, I, I thought that you like uh, in, a, in a scene where like people put all their eggs in a basket and they think everything's about to work out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then boom, the rugs pulled from under them. And that like that moment in the film really like cements their demise. You know what I mean? They just oh, can't. Absolutely. I do no like plan. that. Yeah. Because yeah. it creates great horror. It creates oh, like a real sense. Like you have a sense of hope. And then that is fucking dashed to pieces. And then and the you, audience, you go from there. the high, high to the low, low. Like you oh. then feel hopeless. Like, oh my God, there's no way they can get out of this now. I love but that. you're it also very attached to those characters. You're very attached to them. Yeah. Tom and, yeah, Tom and uh, Judy were pretty good characters. I, did, I liked Tom yeah. a lot too. Me too. I thought he was like very, like he was the guy you wanted around. Him and, yeah. him mm-hmm. and uh, Ben could have got it done. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. At least tried, you know? And I don't think like, I, I like the... Um, I don't know when you when we meet Harry Cooper, like he's a despisable character, like he really is, and the actor does yep. a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they're arguing, like different plans, and like him and Ben, they both have valid points sometimes with their arguments, right? It's not about mm-hmm. who's right or wrong. It's like the fact is that like they never work together, and that's really what was their demise. It yeah, there was no necessarily trust. whether the basement was better or up top. Like I like Tom's idea to kind of do both and then run to the cellar, and that's what ends up happening for Ben anyway. But mm-hmm. But it's One mainly thing. because they couldn't trust each other. Well, mainly because Harry was sort of just like not cooperating. But I understood too. Yeah. So that's what makes Harry worse. Like, yeah, they're both struggling for control and power. Um, and they're not able to like compromise or work together. But what makes Harry worse is his absolute blatant disregard for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben is at least trying to make the place secure for everybody and he's trying to do things that will benefit the group. Yes, he's scrabbling for power, but he's trying to do things that are going to help the group as a whole. And Harry is only interested in protecting himself and his own family. He's mm-hmm. not willing to do anything that doesn't directly benefit himself and his family. Like mm-hmm. he's not going to help fortify the upstairs because he has no intention of staying upstairs even though that would help keep everybody safer. And, and, and he blatantly says this. Like, I think it's his wife who's like, so are you just gonna, like, do, like, not do anything? And he's like, yep. <laughs> I mean, he's I like just pretty too. I... unapologetic about it. Yeah, she calls him on some bullshit. She doesn't really I, yeah, have any power. She, to, she doesn't have any power to change it, really. But at least she, like, you know, she treats, um, I almost said Judah. She treats Barbara with kindness. And she is willing to talk back to her husband at least she's the strongest female character in the film in my opinion uh yeah i have a lot of thoughts i do so i i one of my biggest gripes is barbara i just don't (laughs) love i don't like i I hate that she goes catatonic as soon as ben gets there like when she was by herself she was doing the thing and she got into the house she got a knife like she was scared her brother just died i get it she's traumatized but and and then some people might react like this but all of a sudden she just goes like catatonic once ben's there doesn't communicate with him and just mm-hmm. like shuts down for the rest of the, most mm-hmm. of the movie. She's very much a passive character. I, I know yeah. Romero has spoken about that being one of his regrets. And that's kind of why in the Savini remake, you have Barbara act as like a more active, having a and more I like active that, role. Actually. 
Yeah, I, I, I have to say that's one thing I don't like about this film. I don't like that portrayal of the women as being like basically weak and useless. Yeah, like, I mean, this really is do or die, right? Useless. This is life or death. And I feel like you would have snapped out of it. Even when he hits her, I'm sort of like, oh, man, that's tough. But I was like, she was hitting him and having a hysterical you know, like fit. So he kind of just smacked her out of it. Well, but he didn't. I mean, he punched her in the face. That yeah, was like a did. closed fist punch, yeah. which I yeah. uh, have but, some issues with. Yeah. I thought um, it was supposed to be a slap, but it, the way it looks, it does look like it, it lands like a punch. It right? looked and sounded like a punch to me. Yeah. But yeah, I I don't like that because I feel like it's not true to life. I don't think that's what, you know, a woman would really do. Even in 1968, I don't feel like don't most like anybody's pe- ever needed to be slapped into like, like maybe just sit down, breathe or something like that. But. Well, I just mean the extreme like passivity and the lack of any sort of action or ability to cope with anything. I mean, I, yeah, she's just there. Well, or, or like I understand that like some people might react that way to a traumatic incident, but I also feel Hyderberg, like you said, when you're in a life or death situation, it's like I feel like most people would kind of snap out of that and be able to do something or at least answer a question. But she's like, totally but she finally does at the very end, and I it's too I'd late. Like to it's too little, it too late. Way too late. No. It's too little, too late. I mean, and I, I feel her like her death would have been more impactful if I was more invested in her character. Yeah, yeah. but so she, you know. <sighs> I feel like that kind of portrayal of of her character as as well as you know to a lesser extent Helen's character um it's it's damaging it's like it seems to kind of support the stereotypes of women as being like um incapable of you know successfully managing things or being able yeah. to like defend themselves or others or mm-hmm. be just being Take a weak leadership in general or, yeah, yeah. I don't I don't care for that um, it bothers me, but at the same time, I do recognize the time frame that it was in. And like in her defense, I mean, this was a time period when women were still treated like children, largely. Sure. Um, you know, this was a time period when a woman couldn't get a credit card in her own name. She couldn't get a mm-hmm. loan in her own name. Um, any financial decision had to be supported and signed off by a husband or a father, an adult woman. You know, would like to get a loan if she was unmarried. She'd have to get a sign, you know, a cosign from her father, for God's sake. So it's like, you know, it seems a little unfair for the for Ben in particular to like be pissed at her because it's like this is a society that's teaching women mm-hmm. that you can't you can't do things. Your place is in the kitchen. Like, you know, little girls aren't being taken to like you know work on engines with their daddies and they're not being taken out to like chop wood these are generalizations of course i mm-hmm. recognize that there sure. are of course exceptions but you know by and large that's how little girls were raised and is like you know pretty strong and deep conditioning of like what the tasks were that women were supposed to do so it's a little bit unfair to like be pissed at her as a character or be like you know it's like you can't have your cake and eat it too you can't sure. teach women that they can't do anything and then be mad when they don't so yeah i i agree with all of that absolutely it's also within the context of the film there is so much happening all at once that there's almost like no time to rationalize um but there my friend that i had mentioned earlier victoria um she had like wrote in a piece um about the like women of the romero trilogy and how they kind of change and grow into like 
real characters throughout each film, which I'm sure yeah, like you, guys, you guys will get into later in the month. Um, and she mentions a book called The Feminine Mystique, which talks oh, exactly about what that. you're, yeah, exactly what you're talking about, Jacqueline. Um, how like a lot of women during that time period didn't have their own autonomy. Um, and so it is kind of a contradictory moment where you're acting, you need someone to have agency, but they have spent their entire life being taught of it. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I feel like if Helen didn't have the sick kid downstairs, she might have um, like not listened to Harry anymore and started joining the group upstairs, like on her own. She, she felt did like seem she, to have more she, inner strength. Um, yeah. Yeah, but, but again, she's relegated to the role of a caretaker. The mother, yeah, the caretaker. Yeah. And so, and so is uh, Judy, you know, yeah, in, Judy's the in place of Helen when Helen needs to come upstairs. So yeah. it's like, there's not much for them to do. That so. is my complaint. I really do wish there was a stronger female lead. And I hey. think Barbara could have been that. I would have liked to see the progression of her leave, like being dependent on her brother a little bit. Like you said, being raised the way women were back then. And then having to run away from the cemetery to the house. And, and it could have been an arc of her, like becoming mm-hmm. somewhat of a survivor. I think we're overlooking uh, one of the best, uh, strongest female characters in this movie. The, the girl. little girl that eats those <laughs> people. <laughs> yes. And stabs her mom with a trowel. She's like, yeah. I do what I want. Yeah, she was like, I'll get my Frosted Flakes and you can't say otherwise. <laughs> yeah, but wasn't that too. one of the poster arts right there? Like uh, the, mm-hmm. the, her face. With yeah. Her yeah. Pretty She's iconic. Yeah. It also comes um, as a poster for in the Criterion release we were talking about earlier. There's, it's a double-sided poster, I believe, right? Yeah. Sweet. Um, but yeah, I do love the moment, too, where where um, what's it, Helen comes downstairs and, and sees uh, Karen, the little girl, feeding on her dad, who's been That's shot. Shocking moment. Mm-hmm. Shocking. Like yeah, his arm's was... gone and she's feeding on it. And then yeah. the mom sort of just like, oh, my God, like falls backwards. Uh, <laughs> and the daughter just like grabs that trowel and stabs her with it. It's yeah. Helen doesn't really make enough of an attempt to get out of no, the way. No, she doesn't. <laughs> I she will just say, lays there. On the Night of the Living Dead poster, The it's the black and white one with like the green text. Yeah. I It's a great poster, but Helen's face is in the very bottom of it, like looking up screaming. And it always makes me giggle because she looks so silly on <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you guys know that radio that they use upstairs mm-hmm. that when Harry comes upstairs. My mom had that like same exact radio. Really, oh, really cool. You know, my brother has it now. Oh, nice! That's awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's like gotta be like radio a, or something like that. Yeah, a valuable vintage item. Now. Oh yeah, it's definitely vintage. Uh, I do think so. I thought I do think that the film does a pretty good job of letting you feel like the possible racial tension between Ben and Mister Cooper without mm-hmm. it being like the central focus of those characters. Because sure. like you said, Anthony, Anthony, everything's happening so fast, um, you know, so there's really no time to deal with anything. But I think the subtext is there if you wanted it to be, like if you want to delve in. I think Harry being like extra defiant to Ben's plans may stem from him not wanting to take orders from like a black man at that time in, in mm-hmm. history. Um, it, it could not either. Like I think, like we said, Harry's also played as like a stubborn man who's just desperate to protect his family, but he's sort of inadequate at doing mm-hmm. that, and he's insecure about that. So he just kind of goes against the grain when another yeah. al- like when an alpha male shows up, basically. Right. Um, but I, th- it could be seen either way. I think there's fe- definitely nuance to some of the characters here. Obviously, they're mostly the the male characters, like him, uh, Ben, and I think Barbara. Just I, it really just bothers me that Barbara wasn't developed enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's a big misstep for the film. Um, I don't know. Well, she does trip a lot. She does. 
uh, yeah, but I do like that the film too is like, yeah, we're focused on this event of zombies, uh, of the undead coming back, but in the backdrop, like it is, it is dealing with, like I said, like the folly of man, like mm-hmm. the, the problems that we have as a society. Uh, I, yeah. I definitely think, you know, Dwayne Jones casting was completely fair. He got the role because he was a great actor and that's mm-hmm. what George Romero had like spoke on. And so like the racial implications that kind of come into it are like a latent consequence of his mm-hmm. casting. But I, I think it does develop a very interesting dialogue, um, especially, you know, during an era of like the civil rights movement too. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard not to extract some type of um, racial comment. Especially given his death. Mm-hmm. The ending is very... Dude, we see the the cops oh, yeah. walking down the oh, field. Yeah. Like it looks like a lynch mob. It's yeah, brutal. it does. Oh. And then they find him, and and in the scene, the way it's shot, they don't. It doesn't look like anybody shoots him intentionally. Like, oh, look, it's a black guy. Like he's through the window. They can't see him. But mm-hmm. like you said, the the connotation that it has, uh, it's obviously like I feel like it's got to be speaking. Uh, it, I don't know, man. It's got to be speaking on uh, like the life of African Americans. Well, the way that was set up was so beautifully done because it's, it's like, he's not going to go out the front door because he's like, he's, he, he's, he's still weary of what's going on. Yeah, out there. He's like, where are they at? And he's crawling out the window and the way it was shot, it looked like he was a zombie, but then he's got the rifle like, and he's kind of peeking out the window. Yeah. But, but like when he, finally climbs out the window it's like oh there's another one bam mm. i don't know I, I i thought it was beautifully shot at the end well, of i think it's shot great uh, i just think I it's yeah. it's gotta yeah. i feel like it was know, so heartbreaking too thing. so yeah the film is like a true tragedy um going yeah. back earlier you had mentioned the truck scene um and kind of putting all of their eggs in one basket i think that's mm-hmm. a, one of the things i love about this film um is like the thing I love about the Safdie brothers, if if you guys have seen like um, Good Time or yeah. Uncut Gems, right? Mm-hmm. Where like all of the characters make all the wrong decisions and they keep, it just keeps getting worse. Yeah. Um, and that's what happens in this where like they can't make the right decisions fast enough. And so they keep making the wrong ones. Um, and, but they're making them to the best of their ability. And sometimes that's not, enough and it's mm-hmm. it's sad but it, it's captivating too but i mean isn't that like real life yeah i mean that's mm-hmm. i mean yeah. i feel like that's where a lot of our personal tragedies in life come from is like mm-hmm. we can't make the right decisions at the right time or we realize you know what the right decisions are too late yeah or we make the right decisions and life just still doesn't accept that like there's some things you can't control and even when you make the right decisions sometimes it doesn't work out and that's just like, like ben, kind yeah. of the tragedy of life like you said, Ben does everything right. Like he, he tries to look out for everybody. He tries to look out for Barbara and everybody else there if, if he can. You know, when he's pushed up against, he pushes back. But he never like succumbs to being like a dickhead, or you know what I mean. Like he never like pushes somebody into the horde to save himself. Like he's. I mean, he does punch perfect. Barbara in the face. Yeah. Oh no, but yeah, that's earlier. But in the inside film, the house. I think, <laughs> the house. I, I'm not excusing that moment, but I do think that like after that, he does look yeah. out for Barbara still. Like when yeah. she's yeah. like, "Girl, you're coming with me downstairs." He's mm-hmm. like, "No, Harry, she's staying up here where I can keep an eye on her." Like, so you know, I mean, he's not just going to feed her to the wolves, but yeah, he shouldn't hit her. Like, don't hit people. Yeah, like, you know, don't hit people. <laughs> um, I, I was I was like only half serious, Hydroberg, because I know I, I mean, understand it, it the point bad. you're making, and I and I agree with you. I think it's a great point. Well, and I think it also um, 
speaks to a theme that is, I feel like this movie explores a lot of themes, but one of the things that I think is interesting is that, as you said, he makes all the right decisions. He's being totally logical. He's very resourceful. Um, He's level-headed when like nobody else can seem to be. And he survives the zombie horde. He does. And what kills him is other humans. Is humans. And of course, I think that's a common theme that Romero kind of started the ball rolling and has been picked up in like almost every other zombie property. So that's what I do love about this film, because in this film, everything we're seeing, like it's not tropey at all at this moment. And these are all new themes that he's showing off people being trapped in a house and having survived the night through the zombie horde. Like that's new here. Mm -hmm. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, the, the human drama is great. Like mixed in with the horror, like that was great. Uh, You know, just the zombies, the way he created the lore mainly that all these films and shows and everything I've used since, like shoot them yeah, in the, the head, rules. destroy the body, burn right. the bodies, like infection. Right. From- yeah, I, I thought it built on a great thing as far as the uh, the sequels go is that you build this paranoia and then like like you see something like that, you're going to shoot. You know, it just mm-hmm. built this. It, it, it was almost setting up for the sequels, you know, mm. even though they were. What? His next sequel mm. wasn't for 10 years later. I, I, I know, yeah. but I mean, it just builds up to that. It's like, okay, you see these people, let's shoot them. Um, like, like for this, it built up to that. It built up to this, you know, this crescendo of you see somebody walking around and they're not acting correctly, shoot them. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're saying on the news, right? They're like, they're calling yeah. them like the assassins, like assassins. Yeah, ex- assassins exactly. Yeah. And well, they're, I mean, but they're there's not, echoes of... Weird. You know, there's echoes of the Twilight Zone there. The monsters are due on Maple Street. Uh, yeah. Everybody's mm-hmm. paranoid and accusing each other. This is Cold Great War episode. era. Yeah. You know, yeah. paranoia about Russian spies and can you trust your neighbor? And I think, you know, I, I don't know how, I mean, maybe only indirectly did that influence this. But I mean, it, it was during sure. that Cold War era. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I mean, we're about to go into Vietnam. And again, mm-hmm. it was during the Civil mm-hmm. Rights era. It was too. during Vietnam. Vietnam had already started. Oh, yeah. 1968. I was going to go back to something you said earlier, um, which I thought was really astute talking about this is kind of the first time you see this concept of like a bunch of survivors hold up in this space trying to like protect their own lives. Right. So yeah. I actually I read this interesting article. Um, I'll send it to you guys later. But I read this interesting article last week about the like kind of the origin of zombie movies and how they kind of evolved because of George Romero. Like he kind of took the the existing ideas about zombies and made them like modern. Um, Cause originally that like the concept of the zombie movie is like sort of almost like a voodoo kind of mm-hmm. spell that was kind of like a metaphor for enslaved black people, like particularly in like the West Indies and all this. So um, there's kind of like a tragic history there, but then he kind of took that and rearranged some pieces and made it something different. And But whatever. My point is that this article was talking about how really the first kind of modern example of the, what what the author of the article called the survivor space was Richard Matheson's I Am Legend. Yeah. Last but, man that was, but that was one man alone. And Night mm-hmm. of the Living Dead was like the first modern example of a group of people um existing in that space and the like struggles and like sort of competitions that happen therein um and how and this was kind of getting at what you were talking about 
it makes that like a little microcosm for the world. And yeah. so that's what makes that such a fertile artistic ground for zombie movies is because mm-hmm. you can take that microcosm and put anything in it or on it. Mm-hmm. So like this can be a struggle between generations, between old and young, progressive and conservative. You can black and white, male and female. I mean, any kind of contrast you want to set up, you can use that trope of the survivor space and the group of people within to explore those tensions. And so that's, I think, what makes it such a brilliant concept that you can use again and again and again in these stories. But he did it first. So Vincent Price's film, Last Man on Earth, based on I Am Legend, um, was like a major inspiration for this. But like you said, it was only one person Mm -hmm. um and it's vincent price held up in his home against ghouls um you know fighting off and like trying to get to the next day and um i think the genius of making it a house full of all kind of gets into what you're saying you know you're you have a community or a person against the other um and the other being like the the otherworldly or the the different Mm-hmm. in terms um and, and it it creates such a very interesting vehicle exactly what we're doing now yeah i do like the way too that this film uh gets like the media involved in in moments where not just the tv that they're watching but the end the reports at the end um the way we kind of get enveloped in the tv for a moment so we forget about the survivors for a quick second and we like seeing a news report of like that one scientist speaking out of turn sort of when next to the general, he's like, yeah, it's definitely from the uh, space probe radiation. He's like, oh, we don't know that for sure. <laughs> and I kind of like those moments that kind of like break up the film a little bit. I thought they're really well done. And the mm-hmm. use of the media, he definitely leans into that with the very end where the film ends and we get like the stills with the chatter from the radio. And then like we hear the audio of what's going on and these still images of Ben being dragged out on meat hooks and shit like that and thrown to the fire. And then the fire image is just raging at the end. I just think it's fucking Well, I still think it creates like an era that we're living in now. It's like an age of misinformation, right? And it only adds to like the paranoia of Uh the film itself. So like like, COVID. Like you're watching, you know, like the news and you see Ben's body. It's like, okay, well, you'd assume that was that was just a, a ghoul that they had killed and mm-hmm. they were they were doing you know the work that they were supposed to be doing mm-hmm. but not knowing like the full spectrum of the events i don't know it, it's like still... this small little story that happened in this house like nobody will ever know what really went transpired you know what i mean and right. like, i never got to get out and tell the story of what happened they shot him it creates just... you know still like something that's very relevant today where mm-hmm. we're fighting for information and everyone has their take. Yeah. yeah I mean, people I want to be that. right, have the right information without worrying whether it's right or not. They just want, they're just more mm-hmm. concerned about whether they're right. Well, and even going a step beyond that to kind of run with your COVID example, um, I think this film was so spot on in assessing human behavior um, mm-hmm. and one of the worst qualities of human behavior, particularly American human behavior, which is like an overdeveloped sense of individualism. And Mm -hmm. putting the individual ahead of the collective, which I think is a very American trait. (laughs) I mean, I think it's human. What? And like ownership on, like, this is mine. You can't have it. Exactly. And so, I mean, it's human, but I think Uh it's also particularly American. And I think that, I think that Romero was very deliberately commenting on that here, that there are always going to be people in any group 
who are not going to want to get with the program to help a collective. They're Mm -hmm. only going to be focused on their own self-interests. And that is never going to work out well on on a large scale or in the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to be a major downfall. And so I think that that was a really astute assessment of human behavior. And it was also very prescient for things that uh, you know, it it keeps being relevant. I mean, you see it all the time. So to go with yeah. the COVID example, um, what do we see? We see people being encouraged to do small things that will help protect the well-being of the collective, right? Mm-hmm. But there's always going to be these people who are resisting, 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 refusing. They're indignant at being asked to do anything, even when it's like a minor to like non-existent inconvenience then the media comes into play yeah that's true but, you yeah. Know, and so it's like information that tends to be different later or you know who knows at that time yeah and so i just think like any horror fan was probably has probably not been surprised at um the way that american society has dealt with no COVID. We've seen because the movies. Think, we've seen the exactly. We've seen, we've seen the movie. Like, we know there's always some <laughs> asshole who doesn't want to help anybody yeah. <laughs> and is going to cry and scream that um, this is infringing on my rights. And so like Harry Mask Cooper is, is like that guy. Nazi Germany. That he's he's that guy. But he's like the first guy. Like, he's the anti-masker. You know I mean? Like yeah, <laughs> he's, he's the anti-masker. Guy, the OG guy to be a dickhead and and put everybody's uh, life at risk. I do love you mentioned before. Um, I love the. The line by Helen Cooper, though, uh, I thought it was great dialogue when she says, we may not enjoy living together, but dying together isn't going to solve anything. And I just like it's very <laughs> simple. But I mean, she's just trying to get through to her husband. But I just thought it was some pretty good dialogue. Yeah, it definitely <clears throat> rings true in this situation or any situation, like you said, throughout history, when we're dealing with something like this, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be zombies. And I mm-hmm. do like that the film sort of tells you what might have caused it. I mean, it gives you enough hints, but. It doesn't necessarily come right out and say it, I don't think, but I, I guess it's the radiation from it's kind of like floated as a theory, but we don't yeah. know how and it like dissipated. So it did enough where it, it brought the dead to life. But well, know, we saw like, Return of the Living Dead, right? So it which was... is not necessarily a direct sequel. So that's <laughs> the, the sequels get weird. There's a muddied so Russo and 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 uh Romero apparently they had disputes over who had the the licensing to the movie or the rights mm-hmm. to it because they co-wrote it, right? And then mm-hmm. I guess their dispute, they ended up deciding on Romero could use the word dead in his movie and Russo got the rights to say living of the dead or whatever, <laughs> night of the, or night of, or living of, living dead. Or that's whatever. such a petty, dumb. So, yeah, so that's why his sequel was like Return of the Living Dead and then Romero went with the days, uh, mm-hmm. the dead series. So the you Dawn, know, days, dawn the yeah, dead. land. All right. It's so weird and it's it kind of muddied up I kind of messed with some of their their projects, I would think, too, because like people got confused. There were multiple lawsuits back and forth, apparently. Um, It's unfortunate, actually, because they made this film, which is so awesome Mm -hmm. and iconic. Mm -hmm. And then they got hosed on the fucking copyright. And it's just a shame. The one thing I can say about this film being like free is that like at least everybody's a gotten to see it or seen it on the, in the background in a film somewhere like yeah. oh, yeah. been exposed to it whether you realize it or not it's been in some type of pop culture probably that you've watched yeah. you've even read a comic book maybe that had yeah. some security guard watching it and while he's mm-hmm. doing you know watching inmates or something just something stupid like that it's always in everything right. 
Yeah, well, and it's cool that like indie filmmakers who are working on a micro budget, they can use a clip of that in their movie. They can have characters watching yeah. that movie and they don't have to pay an arm and a leg for it, but they can kind of like incorporate that and put something cool in their movie to make it a little, you know, make it sparkle a little. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, add to the plot for sure. I mean, it, you see a little bit of that and it's like, yeah, this is what's happening in this movie too. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, what else? We've we've kind of covered the end and everything. Anything else that we want to cover before we wrap it up and give our reviews? Uh, so I just wanted to ask. Um, I mean, kind of touched on this a little bit, but how how do you guys think the effects hold up? Like after all these years, do you, I, think I don't know. I, I think they still look pretty good. Um, especially the feeding scene when they all feed. Let's feel like yeah. that's like where they they blew their budget. They're like, all right, here's where we're gonna focus on all the zombies just doing zombie ass shit. Like right. <laughs> everybody just get in place, eat your fucking chicken bone and put they all have <laughs> makeup on. They didn't focus on one in particular. And I do like I find something weird about movies that Italian movies use it a lot. Like those wax, the wax like prosthetics and stuff like that. There's something uh, about them where I know they're fake, but they're grosser. They look weird. Yeah. They're and greasy. So like I don't they're yeah, yeah, greasy. There's something about them that's just like, ugh. I know it's fake, but it still looks fucking mm-hmm. gross, you know? I don't know. I, I think as Jacqueline put it earlier, there is somewhat of like a minimalist approach, which I'm sure was like part of the budget reason. Mm-hmm. But like they use that to their advantage. And I think that's also why it's become so much of a timeless film as well. Where you don't have something like um them right where you have this giant mechanical ant coming over a hill or whatever um you know the the evil in this or the villain in this is it just it's us and it looks Mm -hmm. just slightly off Mm -hmm. um and i it lends itself to again being this timeless thing i agree that's well said you go from this movie to uh dawn of the dead which is what 10 years later Mm -hmm. and it's just like you know, it was so effective. It was just like, like uh, even if it was chocolate sauce or whatever it was mm-hmm. that they were using. It, I, I actually know what it was. It was roasted ham with chocolate sauce. Oh, my gosh. Delicious, <laughs> delicious baby. Yeah. Hide your bar table for two, please. <laughs> but but the thing is, is that, that it was actually still effective. I mean, it, again, it. No, I'm sure the people back in 1968 were going like, this is like the most gruesome movie I've ever seen. I bet in theaters this film is something else. I mean, I feel like the only thing that could have that that may have topped it in terms of gore coming before this was the Herschel Gordon Lewis movies. But those were not like as mainstream as this movie. It wasn't like that was like kind of like some underground shit. Mm -hmm. Also, (laughs) you guys think when when Ben shoots Harry, you think it's a mercy killing or you think he took some joy in that when it kills him? I think he took a little <laughs> joy in it. Yeah. Well, he shot him in the stomach. Like, that's kind of uncool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love, too, at that moment, like, the score kicks in again and it's, like, really good. And you hear the dead upstairs, like, over it and, like, the laying, the layering of it is just... I bet that some, some people have sampled that in particular. Like, that music mixed with the, the dead upstairs, like, knocking and you, know, you can hear him like, ooh. That would be a good title for a song or a movie, Hyderberg, The Dead Upstairs. The Dead Upstairs. Well, yeah. I like love a, the like way. A nod to this film that people maybe pick up on. Yeah, I love the way Romero paid tribute like to the 50s movies where it's just like kind of off screen, but then like mm-hmm. shows it to you and you're like, oh. Yeah, because yeah. it's it's also easier as a filmmaker to probably just have it off screen and then just do the yep. shot of the ooh, ooh, with the mm-hmm. blood. I thought Helen looked pretty good when she was stabbed. Um mm-hmm. Also, it's weird, though. The, the zombies are, like, hitting at the door. They're pushing the fucking furniture around. And then they just lose interest. 
and walk away. Why didn't they do that to the house? Like, yeah. <laughs> so like the big thing kept their interest, but like once they're there and they got the guy behind the door, they just were like, oh, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, like when you come back to Ben at the end, he's just kind of like chilling by himself. It's like, did they just get bored and leave? Like yeah, what they happened? All, they like, were all full of, the house. the house was full of them before. Yeah, mm-hmm. they were ready to go. They were rocking and rolling. I didn't get it. Yep. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they got sleepy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. You guys ready to do our ratings? Yes. Absolutely. Sure. All right. Hydroberg, this is technically your week. So you want to start us off? Yeah. Um, so I mean, come on. This this movie pioneered the zombie subgenre. Like it created a lot of the tropes and the lore that we see to still to this day. Um, and it's gotta be commended for that. I mean, I know people get tired of the zombie stuff, uh, but there's still people out there that adore it, love it. And this guy set us on that path. And I think, you know, over this next month, we're going to talk more and more about the films that he's done, the commentary that he's placed in all his movies. And, um, you know, he was an interesting filmmaker and it was very DIY, too. So I love that, that they just scrapped it together. And look how, like, iconic it is now. I just wish they got paid more for it, unfortunately. Um, The movie is still great. Uh, Whether on purpose or not, there is some great social commentary here. Um, There's a lot to dig into that speaks of society in general but also society during this time frame um but a lot of the themes just ring true 55 years later still in society now we just talked about a pandemic and how people still are dicks you know like it we get it yeah it could happen um i do think the film when it came out it must have been a very important time i think having an african-american lead just had to have been impactful to this film um, in this country's history. Like it just, it must've been great for African-Americans to go to the cinema and see this, uh, especially a horror movie with a strong black lead, like who does survive till the end, you know, and then it's taken out. And uh, you know, there's definitely some commentary there on how he's taken out. I don't know how intentional, I think it's intentional, but um, I think that ending is just so the bleakness of this film. It, it's just, it wouldn't be good if it wasn't bleak. It just, it hits so hard. And I think it holds up. So good. There's some great atmospheric tension for such a small budget. There are moments of the old film. I do think that when it's very dark, obscured, some of that does lend to the scariness of like, what the fuck is there? But I do love to see the updated version as well. Like, you don't really. There's still some some scares there, um, even if everything's cleaned up a little bit. Um, ah, the score, really good score, just great. I was really surprised to hear that it was kind of mishmash from samples, but whatever. Whoever put it together still did a phenomenal job. Phenomenal. Uh, the ensemble cast too I just think they deliver in what is essentially a, a bottle film it takes place in one location and this is one of those films that does it right this is how you do a film in one location All right. was it phenomenal? it was phenomenal forget <laughs> about it it's phenomenal all alright so for some of my cons yeah Barbara. what? I just wish Barbara was a stronger role and to be honest I just wish that I, the film lacks a strong female lead in general and that speaks for the time frame as well as just women uh, during that time. And I don't know, it sucks to see that because there's some good characters here. The women that are in mm-hmm. it, I think do a good job, um, but they weren't given a lot. So unfortunately I think Helen's one of the best characters as far as I would have loved to see, like, give me Helen unleashed. I want to see Helen just fucking hmm. there, <laughs> kicking ass. Uh, but yeah, I just, it, it lacks a female lead, uh, but it does speak on our history as well for women's equal rights. And uh, I don't know. I just think during a do or die moment, like who cares if it's a woman, like get over here and hammer these boards. Like, let's go. Like, let's get, you know, we're going to survive together. And unfortunately they don't do that. And that's why the, the group kind of falls apart. I just would have loved this out of the three women. I would have loved to see one with a little bit of backbone, just want more. And I guess it just wouldn't have been as uh, uh, 
okay, I guess, with some audiences if they saw a strong female lead. I don't know. I mean, it's unfortunate. I, I What I'm saying is basically I, I enjoy Barbara from the 90 remake a lot. <laughs> I do like her character in that. But um, the Barbara in this, she's just kind of useless, and I hate that for her. I just wish there was more. But that's really my only gripe about the film. Everything else that could be seen as a flaw is like, man, they made this on what? $100,000? A little bit. Just like yeah, 100000 and change. Uh, maybe and 111 something great. like that. Got some great shots, like camera work. Like It came together, man. People doing dual roles. So with that said, I'm giving George Romero's Night of the Living Dead from 1968. I'm going to give it 10 out of 10. They're coming to get you, Barbaras. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Film is a classic in my <clears throat> I can't see not giving it a I'm not sorry. Don't don't, don't you be, be sorry. Don't be. <laughs> All right. Anthony, as our esteemed guest, would you like to go next? Uh sure. Um I adore this film. Um I love it for what it is and how it's evolved. Um I love that it still resonates fifty-five years later with um people, you know, across the country and I imagine across the world. Um it's definitely a very American film. Um and I think one of the most horror films ever made. Um, there are people that would never watch a black and white movie. And maybe some of those people are listening to the show right now, but I urge you with, you know, if you have an hour and a half, two hours, watch this movie, this Halloween, it's so important and so vital. Um, It's a timeless classic and one of the most horrifying and saddening ways, but it's also like a great Testament to independent filmmaking and what you can do with just a you know small group of friends um so i i have to give it you know 10 out of 10 all right 10 out of 10 they're coming to get you barbara's from anthony <laughs> it's also just like a an iconic film where you could just kind of throw it on the background at like a halloween party yeah like it's yeah. good it's good always good everything yeah yeah john what yep. say you gosh it's uh hard to argue against anything anybody's been saying um uh, what i do want to say is that it's got that nostalgia of the 50s because at the beginning of the movie you see the the zombie and you you see the flashes of uh uh lightning in his face and it was so brilliantly shot you know and it's just like the interaction with all the characters throughout the movie it's just how can you argue with like like their tension you know there there wasn't like <clears throat> Something there you go. Well, that was fucking stupid. Yeah. Okay. Barbara was, she, she was traumatized by seeing her, her brother Johnny get murdered, even though it wasn't the best kill scene, but like she's traumatized. Um, God, I would say that if you are starting in horror, this would be one of the first ones you watch. It's not overly gory. I mean, it's, it's got insinuations of gore with the chocolate sauce, whatever. But man, this is, uh, if this is not your top 10, um, or at least top 15 for horror movies, ridiculous. So <laughs> I, I'm also going to say, uh, this is a 10 out of 10. They'll come to get you, Barbara. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It's a lot of judgment on, the, on tonight's episode. <laughs> I know. Jacqueline, how about you? How are you kidding. feeling about this uh, classic? If you um, say anything less than a nine, we're going to write. We're coming to get you, Barbara. Do I, <laughs> don't worry. Yeah, gonna, don't worry. I'm not giving it less riot. than a nine. I'm not giving it less than a nine. I love how Shaun of the Dead brings that back, too. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd like to rewatch that one. Maybe. Oh, I wish oh, we had time to cram that in this month, too. Oh, well. Um, 
Yeah, I, I love this movie. Like I said, I'm a little sheepish to admit it. But yeah, I'd only seen this once before about 15 years ago. So my memory was a little hazy. Um, so in some ways, it was kind of like watching it for the first time, especially given the extreme difference in the uh, like the the transfer quality mm-hmm. between like a cheap bootleg DVD from 2006 versus um, the Criterion, you know, <laughs> restored version. So um, it, it almost was like watching a different movie. It really was. Um, I, th- I just think there's so much brilliance to this film for all the reasons you guys have already said. I don't feel the need to repeat those. Um, I I will say like tiny, 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 tiny little quibbles, minor, minor. I do feel like somewhere in the middle, the pace starts to sag a little bit. Um, mm. it, it sags and drags just a little bit. It's not anything major that's going to make me say like, oh, this is a boring movie or anything like that. But I, I do feel like, you know, even for such a short movie, I feel like there's there's a chunk of time kind of in the middle where it like it's not like pushing forward a whole lot. Mm. Um I also just don't love the depiction of women, especially considering that George Romero is somebody that I think of as being very progressive. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would hope to see. So, Anthony, I think you touched on this before. The character of Barbara was actually originally written to be a much more um, assertive and capable character. So I oh, know wow. that like Romero had that in him. But when they had Judith O'Day in the role, the way she played the character was more like a frightened little girl and Romero Romero really liked that and so he changed he like kind of rewrote the character to to reflect that and the character's reactions to her and so i i get that that was sort of a reaction to her acting choices um but at the same time i i would like to see what it would have been like with his original script and his original portrayal of that character because you have to watch the 91 version i would say well let me tell you (laughs) well yeah so but i mean it's not like the same script right i mean it's not like a psycho remake type deal so similar i mean i shouldn't have even named it i'm sorry like the the movie which shall not be named you know it was a great time i gotta go (laughs) (laughs) oh no i scared him away so yeah, I just would have liked to have seen what this film could have been like with Barbara interpreted a little bit differently. Um, you know, I get that it's 1968, but still Romero's a progressive guy. He wrote a version of this script with a stronger character. Um, mm-hmm. as a woman, it's not fun to see negative stereotypes reinforced. So yeah. that's that's all that is. Um having said that, I think the rest of the film is just so brilliant and lays the framework for so much to come i mean the influence on the whole genre is i mean incalculable really yeah so uh the acting performances i i love i think it's like a, an astonishingly effective film given mm-hmm. the small budget and the necessity to kind of like just throw things together and have casting crew pulling double triple duty and do like taking on different roles in the production i mean it's really impressive the product that they ended up getting out of it. I mean, it's really unreal. And that what somebody said 55 years later. Yeah. Like Seidsberg. Yeah. The fact that we're talking about this right now is just unreal. Like, can you imagine throwing together a movie for a hundred grand and 55 years later, people are praising it. Yeah. Right. That's just wild. Like it helped like fill an entire subgenre with like similar films or, you know, 
treatment. Yeah, or... Poltergeist will be there one day. <laughs> it yeah. will. It will. Night of the Chicken Dead. I'm going to make a remake of Poultrygeist. That's what it's called, right? Night of the Chicken Dead? That's the, yeah, Night of the Chicken uh, Dead. Title or whatever. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think it's the power of influencing like an entire genre, right? Yeah. That's the most incredible thing. And now we have films from like South Korea, like Train to Busan. Yeah. You know? yeah. Oh, shit, yeah. Like mm-hmm. this film has sent shockwaves in the last 55 years to all corners of the world. And everyone has had their take on this thing. And it's truly incredible. I right. agree with you, Anthony. And it's like, I, I, I kind of drew a contrast before between this film and Hitchcock's films, but to compare them for a minute, I mean, I would say that this you could make a reasonable argument that this film is as influential in the genre as Hitchcock. I would say uh, so. I mean, that's 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 a big thing to say. Yeah. Well, um, it, and it creates a subgenre, right? I mean, it, again, you know, we we've gone through the whole this is a shitty zombie movie. This is a shitty slasher movie. But I mean, it's just like it, it creates something. So yeah. sorry, Jacqueline. Go ahead. No, no, no. And so to, to kind of zero in on some finer details, like talking about the, I, I like talking about these big themes and the importance of the film and what it does and what it communicates. I think that the most mm-hmm. important theme and what what in what engages me intellectually the most with this movie is what the that topic that we talked about before about. Um, commenting on the human and specifically American desire to like dominate and own things. Heidelberg, I think you mm-hmm. talked about ownership yeah. and mm-hmm. like um, aggression and, and hoarding and the greediness and the, the self. Yeah, we saw it with the toilet paper and, and paper towels and stuff. During, it did. During and it's like the, the way that you respond to a crisis tells like reveals so much about who you are as a person. And so I think yeah, that that's, does. I think that's really like the most interesting thing that's explored in this movie. But like I said, you know, there's so many other things. There's, you know, gender relations and race relations and uh, just so much going on. Um, But that aside to kind of zero in on more like kind of micro details, um, I think this is just great storytelling, like all the social commentary aside. I think it's great storytelling. The story's not overly complicated, but it's suspenseful. You get invested Mm -hmm. in the characters. It's scary. Um, I love the, what's the word I need? Like the coming around full circle of, we start off with Barbara and Johnny at the beginning and they're, you know, we're following them from the get go. And that comes down to just Barbara shortly thereafter. But then the way that she meets her end mm-hmm. from her own brother, that like zombie Johnny. Mm-hmm. I love that too. He like grabs her and just turns her, her around. And it's like so perfect. It just feels like such a right storytelling decision. And um, yeah. I just, because I, I didn't, re- like I said, I didn't remember everything from the first time I watched the movie because it was so long ago. So I didn't remember what happened to Barbara at the end. And I was thinking, oh, it would be so dope if Johnny was the one who came back and like got her. And then mm-hmm. sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And so it was very satisfying. Um, I also have to say, I do like the fact that they float a theory as to what's causing all this. And if I'm not mistaken, that theory never comes back again in the franchise, does it? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't I don't recall it ever showing up in the other movies. Um, by then, it's like they're just trying to cope with the crisis that's already underway. They're not like nobody's trying to explain it anymore. They're just trying to kind of rebuild a world but yeah um, if you listen to the news stories and like the radio stories it's like uh, maybe coming from space but it's so subtle the way yeah. they say it yeah. yeah i like it i like the way they do that, yeah. I like and, that I too. Do and i think... find it creepy that you never know yeah like you just never yeah. know 
you know, you like you, you never really get any answers. It just uh, kind of Anthony, you kind of said before, like so much is going on. You don't really have time to stop and analyze, mm-hmm. you know, it's just like you got to survive. And so even as the viewer of the movie, you got to just kind of go with it because they don't they don't have time to stop and uh, theorize. And so we don't have the time for that either. So it's just it's just a really enjoyable movie. Um, I did have those little quibbles that I mentioned earlier. So I'm going to give this a 9.5 out of 10. Ooh. They're coming <laughs> to get you, Barbara's. Sorry. That's okay. 9.5 is a 9. Hey, I know I get it. I mean, those are those are pretty big. Look, the movie's not a perfect film, but it's close. But, um, you know, I, the, the, yeah, the, the female stuff is, is annoying for me, too. It's my only gripe, really, about the yeah. film as well. It's just... Jacqueline, uh, if I were to ask you, would you put this in your top 10 as far as horror movies? Would you say yes or no? I think it would. I think it would certainly make my top 15. Yeah, it's okay. a tough question. That's fair. That's Yeah, that's t- I mean, there's I mean, that's a tough thing to ask a horror fan because there's so many. Sure. No, but, I understand that. Like, like, like for me, I, I, absolu- I absolutely would put it in my top 10. Enjoyability of like rewatching it all the time. It's not one that I rewatch all the time, but it is a great film and it's short. <laughs> And it looks great now, the way it's been remastered. So it's such a it's a better experience. Yeah. Well, so John, ask me again in like five years, because again, okay. I've only seen the movie twice and those viewings were separated by about 15 years. So I think if I get to a point where I've seen it more frequently and it becomes one of those films that's super familiar and comfortable sure. for me, do you know what I mean? I feel I like do. I do. that, I think that would cause it to, for me, I love, and I think, I, I kind of assume you guys are like this too. I love to watch things over and over again. Joey's not like that at all. It's like once mm. he's seen something, he's done with it. He's like, I already know what happens. Why do I need to rewatch it? For me, <laughs> I like to watch things over and over and over again until they're very comfortable and familiar. Sure. So let me ask like you this. Let, yeah, let me rephrase it, phrase it. If you were to suggest horror movies, would this be at the top of the list? Like pol- uh, Poltergeist, I almost said that. <laughs> Poltergeist. Poltergeist. Yeah this movie and then maybe a couple others would you put that at the top of the list yeah somebody getting into horror yeah yeah and okay. i would say this iconic. i mean it would depend on the person like there are certain people that i know just will never tolerate a black and white movie no matter yeah. how good it is it's such a weird um, thing like i, I don't yeah. get it but some people won't watch like, anything that's subtitled like the subtitle yeah the subtitle thing. Yeah. like there are people i know who would like give up on psycho <clears throat> in 30 seconds uh, so, which I'm- is insane um right but generally speaking yeah i mean something like this somebody who is open-minded yes i would absolutely recommend we just released uh yojimbo on uh cinemigos and that's a black and white subtitles film and it's oh my god it's double whammy nice it's an excellent film thank you (laughs) (laughs) but it is it's excellent all right so three tens and a 9.5 i think that's reasonable did you guys feel like the pace lagged a little bit in the middle there's a moment there's like a two minute scene of just ben putting up boards so yes there are there's some slower moments (laughs) and jacqueline you never asked me like what my experience with this movie was um i actually saw it on tbs and it scared the living shit out of me the living dead the living dead yeah yeah the living dead how old were you do you remember you you watched things from an early age. I did. I, I was probably, yeah, it might have been a year later after I watched Halloween. How old are um, you, John? Like seven. Oh, okay. How, how old am I Didn't you watch now? Halloween at six? Didn't you watch I'm Halloween around age, age six? I'm, I'm the same age as Anthony, so I'm 26, so I'm good. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. No, I'm saying, how old were you when you saw Night of the Living Dead? 
I was probably eight, so probably two years after I watched Halloween. Okay. But it was on TBS so or that basic cable. Yeah, but, but it's still it was, scary. Like, but it didn't scare me like Halloween did, but I loved it. I was just like, that is so good. Do y'all remember when I stuff was... on TBS started at five minutes past the hour? I do. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what the That's fuck weird, was right? up with that? Yeah, what was up with that? Because you Anthony, know what it is? They gave young. you a buffer. Like, I'm late for the show. Well, it's because they had to play different strokes first or like Facts of Life, and then they would play the movie. TBS was like, nah, bro, we got you. Don't worry. The show don't Yeah, exactly. 5.05. You got time. You can go take that dump. Yep. Uh, Anthony's too young to remember. Uh, Jacqueline, I'm having trouble with the Google Doc. It's not letting me put in a 9.5. I'm only oh. it's only allowing me to put in a 10 out of 10. Shut the fuck up. Just... <laughs> I'm trying. I'm pressing the button. Jacqueline, change yes. your score. No, no, I have to remain true to myself. No, you I'm do. I, you, you have no. I mean, your your points are valid. Uh, I, I mean, I Thank feel you. like I could bring it down based on that, but it's just like so iconic. I don't know. For me, it resonates since I was young, but definitely. Yeah. That's a major critique. I wish I I bet it's something George probably wishes he could have went back and and finished like rectified. Yeah, because he does Boy, it with you... other movies, right? Like he mm. brings in characters that are stronger females. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure does. I'm... Yeah, he absolutely does. I can't wait to talk about some of those characters. Yeah, I, I, I am curious. Do we have any trivia on this movie? I, I there is there are untold mountains of oh trivia on this movie. <laughs> so yes, the answer is yes, John. Um, okay. Anything interesting? Yeah, too much mountains, untold mountains of oh, interesting it. trivia. All right. So honestly, I mean, there were probably like two or three hundred trivia facts. I couldn't like Damn. sift through all of them. It was just too much. So. I just I kind of went through like maybe the first seventy ish and just grabbed some. And so I apologize. For the next I, two hours we're going to talk about those seventy. Going to read back. all of them. No, so I I grabbed the ones that I thought were super interesting. Um, I'm sure there's more that's even more interesting, but I just did not have time to go through um, all Plus of you, that. I'm sure people have heard a lot of it. So yeah, honestly, the only movie that I've ever seen it's on fifty five years old. Yes, they they've heard it. The, yeah. the only movie I've ever seen on IMDb that has more trivia is American Psycho. That's like, has just like a ridiculous amount of trivia. So anyway, you got to um, remember maybe Jimmy Ma's listening. He might have not seen this film. That's true. That's yeah. true. All right. So this, as Anthony alluded to before, this is one of the most profitable independent movies ever made. It was made for, uh, yeah, here it is, $114,000, so a little over 100000 and it grossed approximately $30 million over 263 times its budget. So that that was a win. That was a good ROI. Yep. Uh, Still. <laughs> when Still. discussing the film for Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments, I love that series. I love watching that every year. Mm-hmm. Um, George Romero said that the moment they finished editing the film in Pittsburgh, they put the reels into the cans threw it in the trunk of the, like literally threw it in the trunk of the car and drove straight to New York city that night, hoping to have it screened at any willing theater. Wow. Uh, George Romero, unfortunately, I think, you know, we can all surmise saw very little profit from the film, unfortunately, due to his lack of knowledge regarding distribution deals, the distributors Mm. walked away with practically all the profits. It was his first feature film. So he really didn't know, you know, how the whole thing went. I'm sorry, Uh, but that kind of practice shouldn't even be allowed. Like, I know. regardless of his knowledge of the business, like yeah. I, not having a lawyer or whatever, like, come on, you shouldn't be able to host someone like that. It's no. not fair. So between that and the copyright issue, like he just yeah. really, that it didn't go well for him, like in a financial sense. But uh, I do find let it me comforting. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me ask Anthony. Uh, that's probably what started this whole thing, right? The distribution thing. I mean, it, like a movie like this, you're like, oh yeah, he should have. He should have been a billionaire. He should have been. Um, well, yeah. I mean, you think Romero could have had the copyright on zombie in general? You yeah, know? he could have had a hold on all of it, mm-hmm. and it it's unfortunate, but it's also kind of like a a double edged sword, right? Because of what happened with distribution and copyright, it kind of bred all these other films and mm-hmm. things. Mm. Yeah, every yeah, he every, z- <laughs> every zombie movie could have been called Romero's yeah, Zombie right. Land Two, Electric Boogaloo. I would have loved right. to see his nice. name like stamped on, like you know, how some directors do it, like George A. Romero's. You know, yeah, right. Well, you well, think like Universal. Like Universal's Frankenstein, they have the copyright on the Boris Karloff look, like the flat head, yeah. bolts in the neck, you know, green mm-hmm. skin. Um, and you know, anytime someone emulates that, Universal has the right to, you know, say pay up. That's yeah. mm-hmm. that's our Frankenstein. You can't use it. And George Romero could have easily done the same thing. Like, this is yeah. my zombie. They can't act or look this way, or mm-hmm. else you owe me a check. Yeah, yeah. Well, so that's why, like the, the hammer zomb- Frankenstein looks totally different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least the, like- the the zombies don't look blue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't love blue zombies, but mm-hmm. but you know, yeah. So Romero yeah, got hosed on this first movie, but I do find comfort in the fact that he did end up having such a successful career and gaining such widespread respect. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. well deserved respect. So you know, I'm sure that like somehow that was kind of made up for in a way. I hope. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, him going on to do like the other dead films and doing like Creep Show and mm-hmm. all the other Creep Show, all the other like novelizations that probably came out of George Romero's name alone. I yeah. mean, I I'm I'm hoping he did well for the rest of his life. So Creep Show so. is one of those other building blocks in Young Hydrobergs. Um, are <laughs> really are like, yeah, Creep Show is near and dear, and I even like the second one. Nice, <laughs> same. Yeah. I do. I like, like the first one, one until the end. Yeah. And I got to turn it off. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. The oh, the bugs. Bugs. oh, yeah. Mm-mm. Don't like Jacqueline it. doesn't do bugs. Nope. Especially roaches. No, thanks. Well, no, I can deal with other bugs. Oh, but... it's just roaches. Not roaches. <laughs> nope. Can't deal. Nope. No, thank you. Um, Anthony talked about this before. The U.S. movie rating system was instituted on November 1st, 1968. This film was released on October 1st, 1968. So it's one of the very last films released in the U.S. that doesn't have a rating. I think that's Mm. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, The character of Ben. So this is kind of similar to what happened with um, the character of Barbara. The character Mm. of Ben was originally supposed to be a crude but resourceful truck driver with no specification to race. But after Dwayne Jones, in real life, a self-serious erudite academic auditioned for the part Director and co- of course George Romero rewrote the part to fit his performance. Mm-hmm. So it seems like he's very like in tune with actors and you know is willing to um, kind of mold his film around the actors themselves, which is pretty cool. Yeah, because I mean, he did it with Judith too, right? I I, I, I did Judith, hear the story that mean. that he picked uh, Dwayne Jones not because of his uh his skin color but he just picked him because it was like perfect yeah exactly and he just he happened to be black and and that's the other thing i like about this movie is like you have a black lead which is kind of unheard of for a movie that's not about race 
Like mm-hmm. it's not explicitly about race. True. So there are other movies with black, you know, like leading characters like Imitation of Life or you might even say yeah. Gone with the Wind. But like that's like explicitly about race and like race mm-hmm. is like a crucial factor in the existence of that care and of those characters. Um, but not in this one. Yeah, and I like I that. I, like you can have that conversation. So but progressive. It's not, like you said, it's not explicit. It's yeah. just it could be there. Well, Barbara and him chew up the scene for like 25, 30 minutes of the movie. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden we get these other characters. But I mean, it was just so beautifully done. Mm -hmm. I mean, again, it's like you don't feel that. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Jacqueline, like that George Romero just had this like very progressive look at film. And it was just like the, the way they chewed up those scenes. And then all of a sudden, oh, we got more characters. You're like, Oh, that's a surprise of the movie right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then exactly. the, the, those characters were there all along too. Is interesting. Well, no, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, you're just like, yeah. damn, you're like, that was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Russell Striner's mother, I, I don't remember who Russell Striner was He's in the movie. Johnny. He's Johnny. Okay. His yeah. mother oh. owned the car that was driven in the movie by Barbara and Johnny. Oh, I love this fact. It's so random. The cemetery scenes were shot over two days. Someone ran into the car during a break in filming. Oh, that's why it's got the damage. Leaving a dent in it. And so George rewrote the scene so that the car comes to a stop after scraping against that tree. You know, when she's driving away. That's so funny, too, because I'm I'm watching the scene. I'm like, why would you crash that car into the fucking tree? I don't know. I know this movie's made cheaply. so That's why. That's why oh. somebody hit it and dented it. So they were trying to like, you know, make it they like, fuck it, we'll uh, use it. look like oh. it had a reason. Uh, the world, the film's world premiere was in Pittsburgh on October 1st, 1968. So 55 years ago yesterday. You should have held uh, it for wow. one more year. And just release it on 69. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and the film was met with a standing ovation, which I think is really awesome g- given how like against the norms it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, if it, you think about it, it was more gory than like movies that were coming out at that time. I mean, even if it was chocolate sauce, mm-hmm. it was more gory. So that's awesome. Yeah. Well, and like think about the other big horror movie that year of Rosemary's Baby, which is my favorite movie, of course. And I mean, first of all, what a great year for horror. Um what is this Rosemary's all, Baby like, that you're talking about, Jacqueline? What is this Rosemary? Yeah, I've never heard of it. Do you what like this film, Jacqueline? <laughs> Uh, but of course, that's like, you know, that film has a very different tone to it. There's no gore at all. Yeah, everything's movie. alluded to it. Totally different. That movie, yeah. mm-hmm. So, but wow, what a year. Uh, in his final interview before his death, Dwayne Jones admitted he had never seen any of the other dead movies, nor any other George Romero movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's sad. It was that's a role sad. for him. I, I yeah. kind of wondered, it was in my notes, but I didn't really touch it. But I just wondered if anybody realized what at the time when they were working on this set, like did they feel like the film was silly or were they really into it? And did they realize, you think they realized at all, like the moment in history that was taking place, you know, that you think anybody knew that like, wow, we're, we're making something I don't know. special here, or was it just another film? I'm curious what Anthony not. thinks about I, that though. Yeah, yeah probably Anthony. not. What do you think, I, Anthony? I truly do not know. Um, yeah. I I think it's something you know or you don't know um, in terms of w- when you're involved. Um, mm-hmm. I know that there's an interview with Dwayne Jones. It's like one of the few recorded interviews with him about this role. 
on that mm-hmm. Criterion box set. I would love to watch that, but I, I imagine you'd probably get your answer. Okay. I got to check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. So can only speculate. When applying makeup for the actors playing zombies, Marilyn Eastman, who also played Helen, uh, focused less on a rotting appearance for most of them, instead concentrating on a prominent facial feature that each each actor or actress had and Mm. making it appear more prominent for an unsettling image. Eastman, as I said before, is also the zombie who eats a bug. And uh, Eastman did her own makeup for the shot where she eats a bug. She has a lot of heavy makeup on for that scene to make it look like a different character. Right. Oh, I like this fact. Bill Cardell, who plays the television reporter, um, he had some kind of nickname like Chili Billy, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's me, he Chili was... Billy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I just set you up too perfectly for that one. And I didn't even realize it. That was too perfect. Um, he was actually a local Pittsburgh TV celebrity. He hosted a horror program on Channel 11 and occasionally reported the news. But you, he's a horror. <laughs> he's a horror. Did he report the news as I can only hope so. <laughs> this was previous Joe Bog Briggs. Yeah, that's right? who that guy so was. Yeah. Oh, so we talked about the scene where um, the Helen comes down the stairs and sees Karen eating her father. Originally, mm. one idea for the script called for Harry Cooper to die from the gunshot wound received from Ben before his daughter became a zombie, mm. which would have resulted in Helen coming down the stairs to find him eating their daughter Ooh. rather <laughs> than the daughter eating him. It was decided Oof. that this would probably be far too... So I guess that's the line. It was decided that was probably too disturbing. That would have been yeah. cool, though. That, yeah, oh, yeah, that would have been cool as hell. Yeah. So badass. And He got shot that. and he was just like munching on... Oh, wow. Holy and then we get Lord. to see Helen take a frustration out on her husband by just yeah. battering his head in. Mm-hmm. So that's that's actually all I pulled for now. That was that was, yeah, that was the, the the best of the first fifty to seventy um, pieces of trivia that I got through. So what a beautiful start to October to Romero. It it is certainly going to be an October an October to Romero. And there's yes. a trademark on that, so don't try to steal it. Yeah, can we put a copyright like yeah, thing October on the audio? <laughs> yeah, we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right. audio watermarks from youtube videos we yes. try and sample music yes sure. we need to do that mm-hmm. well boys that wraps it up for a night of the living dead from 1968 yes. that was such Thanks. a great discussion anthony thank you so so much for being here it was really a treat yeah, yeah it was man. fun being on uh, again i i haven't done this in a while um and it was really nice being able to i don't know really get to know all of you a bit more and get a more personable take than just kind of being an audience member to your show. Right. And Anthony, by the way, we went to hell together. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I know. We're blood brothers. Yeah, we are. We are. (laughs) Check out episode 300 of straight chilling. If you want to know what they're talking about. It's uh, my best performance. I got an Oscar for that. Now we've had all three of you guys on. I didn't. We have John as the host. We've had Nicole on as a co-host basically. And then, Mm -hmm. Anthony, now was, we've had you on. Was Michael on that one? Uh, Horror Apocalypse? No, I don't yeah. think it was just you three, right? He wasn't? Oh, it was no, just it, was a, okay. it was us three. We we okay. resurrected them from hell. We had to go to hell. Mm, Half yes. star for Yabos. You had That's to make a deal with Beelzebub. Baby I blues, did. yeah. yeah. 
All right. Well, yes, that about covers it for Night of the Living Dead. As you all know, next week, we'll be moving on to the second film in the dead cycle called Dawn of the Dead. We're doing the 1978 one. This one's on John's week. So he's going to kind of uh, lead the way on on that one. Sure. Uh, Um, I would say this is my... um, all right, I'll talk about it next week. Go ahead. Jeff. I was going to say, Jeff. don't get. Yeah, Jeff. <laughs> we got to make people want to tune in to, to listen. I know. We want to go back to the malls. Yes. Fucking yes. Man, yeah, man. let's go back as to the always. <laughs> as always. Uh, in the meantime, while you're waiting for that episode next week, please feel free to email us with any questions or if you have your own interpretations of the movie or you want to disagree with one of us or tell us how right I am, <laughs> please email us at a cut above or review at gmail.com. You can also follow us on X at cut above or uh, you can follow us on Instagram at uh, cut above one word dot horror underscore review. And our friend Anthony, where can they find you? um you can find me at monster house records in uh sanford florida it's about 30 minutes north of orlando we specialize in punk rock music and horror movie memorabilia and i would love to talk your ear off about you know some second wave punk music and any horror movie of your choosing love that you can find us on facebook a cut above colon horror review and make sure that you give us those five star ratings on uh spotify and on itunes and if you are listening to us on itunes uh, give us the review we'd love it please give them five stars they they've earned it they've put in the legwork i mean i think i think if they could go higher than five stars they should (laughs) oh give us six stars get higher baby six figure figure out (laughs) figure out how to do that and then do it i don't know how it's done but figure it out do it (laughs) do it All right, fellas. Well, it's been a blast. Uh, Looking forward to coming back next week and talking with y'all about Dawn of the Dead from 1978. Mm -hmm. And keep it creepy, Barbara. Barbara.